0: Hello everybody, and I'm always wowed by how abrupt the ending of that intro video is when we do a live version of virtual legality. So I hope I didn't surprise anyone. Thank you folks for joining me for what is now the second major virtual legality live episode. I just figured there was so much news going on today with respect to Microsoft Times Activision and people asking me for quotes and asking me for DMs and is the deal dead and what does this mean from the UK? How did they arrive at this decision? Why is Sony mentioned so much that we could have a wonderful conversation about it together rather than doing the strictly video on demand version of these virtual legality episodes. So with that said, I've got a lot of materials lined up. One of the reasons I do live is so that you all can converse together. You can discuss what it is that I'm talking about. But between documents, maybe even between sections, one of the things that I will do is look for questions from you. If you have anything that you want further clarity on or that I can hopefully help answer or that we can talk about together, please do label those as question or at hog law. Uh, super chats are always noticed, of course, but not necessary just the things that pop out in my line of sight is helpful to me when I'm not otherwise knee-deep in analyzing the documents and talking to you all about them. With that said, let's talk about the big news story of the day, and that is the UK, the United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority, coming down pretty hard on Microsoft Times Activision. Now, before We go into all of the specifics here. I want to just get the disclaimer out of the way. You only want to watch me for 30 seconds. You're in the archive. You're like, oh God, what is this guy talking about? I will tell you the top line information here is that I do not believe that this all materially affects the chances of Microsoft completing the purchase of Activision. I've said for a long time that I think that will happen in the first quarter of next year, certainly the first few months of next year. And not anytime sooner. You saw me scoff a little bit at some people saying maybe October. And this definitely puts this more in the range of sometime in 2023. We saw Microsoft reserve for that period of time when they gave the initial press release with respect to their purchase of Activision, saying, hey, we hope it gets done by the middle of next year. That's what we're going to tell our investors. Generally speaking, that's a little cushion for when we think it's actually going to get done. And that's a, a few months before that point in time. Seems like we're still on track for that, which is a point of emphasis that you will see highlighted in particular in the comments that we get from, I believe it's Bobby Kotick at Activision. So that's one of the documents we've got reviewed. You can see all the tabs on the top of your screen. I can't hide those from you uh, in this format. Uh, But as it stands right now, for everybody that just has 30 seconds to look at it, this actually seems to comport with what we would have anticipated, what we've expected from what we've been hearing in terms of rumblings at the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States. And this actually matches quite a lot of that. The difference is that here in the United States, the FTC basically does all that behind closed doors. They go, they ask for additional information, which is realistically what the UK is doing right now with what they're announcing. But they do it all behind the scenes. We get leaks, we get rumors, we get told, ooh, they're looking at this aspect or that aspect Uh, But they don't make a public show of it like apparently the CMA of the UK does. Big Twitter thread. Hey, you guys should know that we're passing phase one, which we will see in terms of their standards basically means nothing. It's the probable cause of legal analyses here at their agency level. But it does at least mean that this $70 billion deal, about seven times bigger than any other deal in the history of the video game industry, is being looked at carefully by regulatory authorities which is exactly what we would expect. Now, they choose to go out with that and say some things that have caused some headlines out there. And you've probably seen me quoted in a couple of places on this already, but let's talk about it specifically, just you and I. We've been investigating Microsoft's anticipated $69 billion purchase of Activision, Activision Blizzard, and have discovered that the deal could substantially lessen competition in gaming consoles, multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming services. Now, this is Twitter, right? We have a limited number of characters, but this is also the way that a lot of people get their news. This is the kind of thing that is reported on in major journalistic outlets. And I do have a problem with the way that they have framed some of this out, which we will see in the primary source material here. So when you say, first of all, that you've discovered something, that to me implies that there's a truth quotient out there in the world, and that you have discovered it, like a scientific discovery. That's not what is happening here. That's not what happens with any... Antitrust analysis from the FTC to the UK to the EU or anybody else, you assert, right? You say, hey, we've looked at some information and we think this will happen. We think that that might cause a reduction in competition. So we're going to move to block it we're going to investigate it further, as is the case here. You, you don't discover truths here. It's always economic assertion. So discovered is already a little bit odd, but they're in the UK. Maybe it's just a, a British American kind of difference. The other concept here that's a bit problematic from my perspective is that this sounds like they have actually made a determination that it could substantially lessen competition, right? That's what they're saying specifically. What they actually mean is something of a double whammy here. They're saying that they believe that it could, could substantially lessen competition. We're moving to the next phase. They think it's a possibility that it could substantially lessen competition. Now, could, unfortunately, is the kind of word that doesn't let you go through different legal thresholds very easily. It's why it's a problem to actually put this in a tweet in this particular manner is that, yes, what they have found is that it is possible that it could substantially lessen competition. And it sounds like they found that it could as a specific matter of law. That's not at all what's happening here. The last bit on just this first tweet, and you can tell probably going to be a long episode, folks, because we've got a lot to go over. This is important stuff. And we've got a lot of documentation. So we might just be taking question breaks in order for me to catch my breath and and clear my voice a little bit. But there are three categories here, two of which I identified as the likely avenue for what I called aggressive antitrust enforcement when we looked at this deal way, way back in January because the very first thing that I noted and people asked me about was, oh, they've given themselves a year plus to get this done. That's because they think regulators are going to look at this very closely. I agreed with them. And then people ask me, well, can they actually be held under antitrust laws as a as a problem child here? Microsoft isn't the mo- the biggest console producer. They aren't the biggest software producer. Microsoft has highlighted that in a number of their press releases and conversations they've had with people. Hey, look, folks, we got Sony out here. We got Nintendo. We got Tencent. We got Amazon wants to come in. We got all these different companies. How can you claim that we are a monopolist or that we're restraining trade or that we're exercising market power Uh, illegally? I said, well, the most obvious answer for this is if you are motivated as a regulator, and I'm an American lawyer, so I was looking at this from the FTC and DOJ side of things, is you'd look at cloud where Microsoft clearly has a first mover advantage, has all this infrastructure, has spent all this money on Azure, uh, and even Sony is licensing Azure, which is another thing we'll talk about as we look at these documents. And you would look at Game Pass, right? Microsoft, and they've said this now, very specifically in bold, lost the last generation of the console war, and they decided that they didn't wanna compete in that manner anymore. So they developed Game Pass as kind of their alternative business model to selling plastic boxes under your TV, or at least making their money that way. So Game Pass is that recurring revenue subscription service model of gaming. And so it is nascent enough, which is a word that you will see in a couple of places. It is new enough. It is small enough that they could take advantage of their significant resources and move in this other direction. The weird part about that for both of these instances is that They're basically markets that are coming into existence. Most regulators are a little bit circumspect about using the mighty authority of government to prohibit activity or otherwise penalize firms that engage in it on markets that we don't really know very well. As we've talked about when we've talked about antitrust law in general, in other contexts, Epic versus Apple says hi, is that regulators are often prognosticating. Right. They are making predictions about what they think will happen, about market share, about prices, about consumer satisfaction, quality, a host of things. And that's basically their job. There's nothing wrong with that. But it does make antitrust law a bit of a gray, squishy area in the legal realm. So when you've got a regulator looking at an industry that is pretty much brand new and was caused to exist in large part by the actor that you're otherwise criticizing, mostly... You're a little cautious, historically. Now, we have seen the FTC here in the United States move against Facebook on the within deal in a manner that I think is completely unwarranted under our current antitrust laws. And we'll see how that goes. Here, I wouldn't call this completely unwarranted. After all, these are the two areas that I identified in those early videos. You can go check the tapes on that as what an aggressive antitrust enforcement would look like. But it's also probably a little bit too aggressive, in my opinion. Then you throw on gaming consoles And you say, what? UK, are we really gonna talk about gaming consoles? Microsoft isn't winning the gaming console race. It doesn't have market power in gaming consoles. You see the gaming console market share shift every generation because of different hardware specs, different prices. God knows we've seen that. Different philosophies, Sony, Microsoft, Microsoft, Sony all over the course of the past 20 years, with Nintendo quietly collecting huge profits on the Wii and the Switch, and saying, hey, all right, you guys fight over photorealism, we're gonna go over there and collect Mario dollars. And so, you say they're going to potentially reduce competition or monopolize gaming console space, that to me seems just way far field. And if we look at the report, they don't actually argue that so much. So we'll take a look at that. That's the first tweet. We're one tweet in, folks. How's everybody doing? 10 minutes, one tweet. We're looking at a six hour type video right this second. We're gonna try to break that down a little bit more, Uh, but that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What do you all think so far? We're live, ask your questions, get ready to have a discussion on all this stuff. That's why I do these virtual legality lives. So let me know as we go along. Second tweet, Microsoft is one of the biggest players in the gaming industry. Yeah, all right, granted CMA, we got you. Together with Sony and Nintendo UK, which is the Twitter name they use, they've led the games console market for the past 20 years with limited competition from new rivals. That's right. Nintendo and Microsoft uh, and Sony have dominated the console space. It's interesting that you use the phrase gaming industry and then say there's limited competition from new rivals in the gaming industry or in games consoles. Got to be careful there because, you know, PC exists and actually the most money and the most players live on mobile, which is one of the things that Xbox is going to use, I think to significant effect, when Phil Spencer comes out, and we'll discuss this document as well, with a corporate massage statement that is nonetheless very aggressive on these points. So get excited for that. This is probably as aggressive as we've seen Microsoft respond to any of these kinds of dealings out there, other than the things that are leaked out of like Brazil when they respond directly to Sony, et cetera. Activision Blizzard develops and publishes some of the world's best-selling and most recognizable gaming franchises, including Call of Duty and Warcraft. Indeed, they do. I'll grant you that, CMA. Now we've got just a, we've just got an emoji. So they're, they're putting an emoji here. It is the, the no sign. If you're wa- listening to this in podcast form, you know, it's like the no smoking or maybe the Ghostbusters iconography that you might be familiar with. They just put that right at the front. They say, we're concerned that if the deal goes ahead, it could harm rivals, including recent and future entrants into the gaming industry, by refusing or hindering access to Activision Blizzard games. So, okay, we have to back up a little bit, because I know this is a topic we've talked about. And I want to put the caveat out there. I am not a solicitor in Britain. I am not a lawyer Uh, In the UK, Uh, I am an American lawyer that does have some experience dealing with regulatory authorities on things like antitrust and and contracts and whatnot, but the framework here is ostensibly similar. That doesn't mean they have the same precedents. That doesn't mean they have the same rules for the regulatory bodies. So I'm going to have to admit uh, to a lack of information there. But as they describe it, it matches up a lot with what we know from the Clayton Act, the Sherman Antitrust Act, the acts that we deal with here in the United States very regularly. And first and foremost, you look at the name of this entity, and it's called the Competition and Markets Authority. So we can bet on one thing. They are framed around protecting competition. Competition being the theory that multiple folks within an industry competing for your attention, your dollars, your time, whatever it is that they're selling, is a good thing. That that tends to have iron sharpen iron. That tends to reduce prices. That tends to increase quality. That tends to do very good things for the consumer at the end of the day. They wanna protect competition. That's why the phrase in this particular tweet is so darn odd. They say, we're concerned that it could harm rivals. Now, if I were to ask you, hey, when people play, let's say a football match, let's say a European football match, and one side is trying to score on the other, would you classify that as competitive? Would you classify that as competition? You have an even playing field. You're trying to get out there. You're trying to kick the soccer ball or what do you call a soccer ball if you're in Europe? Is it a football? Is it just a football? All right. Uh, Into the other person's net. And honestly, if you succeed in doing so, well, they're going to be rather unhappy about it. And that's the nature of competition. Competition is probably defined in some place somewhere as the act of harming your rivals. (laughs) Whether it's a sporting event or a marketplace, We have the iron sharpening the iron. The iron that's otherwise not getting sharpened isn't necessarily loving the process. Uh, If you are losing market share, that doesn't mean you like what is happening, but you go and you try to gain that market share back by lowering your prices or increasing quality. That is the process of competition. It's why antitrust law is both so politically fraught and so contested, even in economic circles, is because somewhere there's a line between wow, that's heavy competition and you're trying to destroy your rivals and that's illegal and wow, that's heavy competition and you're just trying to grab market share in a way that improves consumers' welfare and lives and that's okay. That's what we want. That fair competition looks a lot like illegal competition and where that line is, is really, really gray area. And as you can see, if you've been following this in Virtually Gaudi for a while, somewhat changes with the winds. Right? Changes with the composition of the Federal Trade Commission, for instance, changes with a presidential administration, changes with the composition of Parliament. And all of these things make it a little bit difficult to be out there in the world making transactions like this. But you could tell from the start, if you go and you make a transaction that's seven times bigger than any other transaction in your industry, you're going to get some of this. Uh, And we're going to look at the documents, we're going to look at the summaries. Again, like I said, the world's longest video here, potentially. But at the end of the day, you have to be very careful if you're trying to protect competition that you don't accidentally try to protect competitors. The marketplace is understood to not be this sacrosanct thing that is crystallized in amber, that Sony needs to have a 39% market share and Microsoft needs to have 23%, and they both just need to live with it, that Microsoft can go and do things to try to grab market share and that's the actual act of competition that you are ostensibly existing to protect. Now, we'll see what other arguments they have, but that's just really odd phrasing for a description like this because harming rivals isn't what we're concerned about. Illegally destroying them, restraining trade in a manner that rather than playing football on that field and trying to score on their net actually involves taking a, a bat out and knocking out three of the other team's legs. That's what we're worried about. And so when you talk about this, the question becomes, is Microsoft allowed to buy a company like Activision? Are they allowed to say, hey, we've bought this company, we now get control over something like Call of Duty, and and they could have bought it, and they can compete, they make video games, they've just elected not to do so, but no, we're not allowed, because you think that would harm Sony's market position. Things are about to get real, real weird here, folks. Finally... They say Microsoft and Activision now have five days to make proposals to address our concerns. If any proposals made are not sufficient, undefined term, we'll explore this deal in more depth to reach a decision that works for the UK gamers and businesses. Find out more. And indeed, we will. Competition and Markets Authority. Now, this is an interesting process. There's nothing that really mirrors this here in the United States uh, other than just kind of backroom calls and things like that. Here, the FTC says you know what, we think this could potentially do something bad. We're going to ask for a second. Look, we saw rumors have that happening a long time ago. That would have made sense because that's the timing that our acts here in the United States uh, require. But because the standard is so low, hey, we think this might be something, they don't publicize it. They don't go out to the world and say, hey, this might be something because you get reports like this and you wind up having the company have to respond to reports like this when even the CMA here, will announce in their documents, oh, the standard is very low, the phase two standard is much higher. Uh, We don't quite know yet. And so in that context, if you're Microsoft, if you're Activision, you're unlikely to just unilaterally offer what amounts to settlement proposals or consent decrees here in the United States. You're, You're probably gonna wait for them to suss things out a little bit further. But understand that even as described here, even though they went public with this, hey, it could, could substantially lessen competition, it's still in the same vein as what we've heard about coming from the FTC when Lena Khan rattles their sabers, when they describe what's happening with Facebook, especially the Facebook and with India. These are all pretty much of a piece. So one of the things that Microsoft Internal is doing is looking at the various regulators in the EU, in the US, and the UK, and all these very important places and saying, well, let's unify what our consent decree would look like. And one of the major aspects of this here, which continues to be pretty funny to me, is that Microsoft has gone out publicly. One of the very first things they did, really, I think I have a video here in virtual legality that says something along the lines of Microsoft's PR campaign has begun. Is say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to bring Call of Duty to everywhere. Um, And we don't think that requires a consent decree. One of the things I said in those early videos was, yeah, that's not going to fly. For regulators, if you're willing to accede to something like that, a concession, right? We're going to buy Call of Duty, but we're going to make sure it's available everywhere. They're they're going to ask to have that in writing. And and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a consent decree kind of process. The question has always been, will the FTC, will the EU, will one of these jurisdictions ask for too much? Will they force Microsoft to challenge these actions in whatever court and whatever applicable jurisdiction they're talking about? Because the other thing that I've mentioned in this space a lot is that, the FTC and the CMA and all of these executive kind of regulatory agencies are not necessarily the final arbiters of this decision, right? If the FTC in the U.S. says, Microsoft, we're going to block this deal because we think it's substantial less than this competition, uh, unless you agree to these settlement terms and Microsoft says, well, I mean, we could agree to the Call of Duty one. You've got some other stuff that's kind of zany. Uh, we're not willing to agree to that. Then the FTC says, all right, we're going to block your deal. Microsoft says, Great. Uh, You're going to have to sue us to do that. Let's talk about it in federal court. Our lawyers are ready. And then you have that out before the judiciary. The the executive branch FTC agency doesn't just get to decide on its own. I can't promise exactly the same kind of procedure for the UK. Again, not a UK lawyer, uh, but it does seem of a similar type in terms of structure as to what we have here in the United States. So I would anticipate that they don't get to be the final decider on this thing either. And it could be sued against and it could go to whatever the equivalent court would be in the UK. So that's what they're facing. The FTC, it has to go through a court if they ultimately want to go that direction. The CMA, I don't know, but I suspect would have another uh, judicial type body to discuss things with, which is why they're going out and making their case right here. Now, before we get into this document, we've got so much more folks. I know we have some super chats. Let's take a breather. Let's, let's, Take a sip of, uh, I've got here some cola uh, beverage. We're not using soda or pop after that poll went so horribly for me in a recent hangouts and headlines. Uh, But let's take a breather. Let's talk about it a little bit. What do you think, just based on the tweets of what the CMA is saying, especially how they phrase uh, these things? Uh, So get those questions ready as I talk through some of the super chats. Hey, Rich, waving emoji. Hey there, Gaston. Could you kindly give us a brief sentence or two with as much legal jargon as possible refuting the CMA statement today? I don't know if I did it short enough, but we're 22 minutes into the video. And I think, I don't know that I would refute it, uh, right? What I would say is it's very aggressive. Uh, There's a huge swath, a whole no man's land of gray area in antitrust law. And one of the major things that they have done here is try to assert that cloud gaming and subscription-based gaming are their own separate markets, either together or separately from each other that are separate from the kind of buy-in video gaming, console gaming industry that we have uh, seen historically in the video game landscape. Now that is at least a little bit surprising as a finding here, because we do know that in the Brazilian leaks that we've looked at in this space, not even Sony was asserting that subscription gaming is a distinct industry. And again, that kind of goes against our intuition, right? that this is a gaming industry. I want to play a video game today. How I get it is a business model, but buying it versus subscribing to it versus something else, renting it, is all within the concept of the gaming sphere. They're all substitutes for, hey, I want to play a game today. Right, one of the things I do now is I go and I look at when a game releases, and I go and see what it costs, and then I go and see if I already have it coming through Game Pass, and then I go and consider whether or not I'm going to buy it. And we do all these various things. That's all of a piece with participating in the gaming industry. And Sony to Brazil said, "Yeah, no, we think those are the same." And I commented on that in Virtual Legality. I said, "Well, Sony could have tried to say they are separate industries, uh, and if they did, separate markets." Because at that point, they've got a much stronger case that Microsoft could have market power that it could illegally use to restrain trade or substantially lessen competition. The SLC, we will see referenced by the UK on this score. And they didn't because it's silly, because it's hard to argue. And that's why I said it's such an aggressive position. So hopefully that kind of answers your question there. Uh, Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate the support. Joe Monger, what can stop Microsoft from undercutting the market Other than regulators, they can lose money indefinitely. Yeah, well, you don't have the argument here so much that they are predatorily pricing. Um, And that's an interesting concept that they can subsidize their losses. It's one that has come up when I discuss Game Pass a lot because they are in what I call the user acquisition kind of zone right now for Game Pass. And I think it's very possible that the Game Pass price could go up um, pretty significantly really at any time. And that's not that unusual for what we've seen from digital subscription services, right? When you're looking at uh, Netflix, when you're looking at Disney+, Plus, when you're looking at some of these other subscription services, they go through a user acquisition phase and then they increase the prices. And, And Game Pass wants to get that subscriber number up enough and then absolutely could increase the prices. I would anticipate it. Is that a monopolist acting? Or is that a viable business model where you know you have to get the network effects, you have to get people invested, you have to get people interested in your product, and then you get it up to the cost of doing business? Now, you can use Microsoft's profits in other sectors, and that could get problematic. We don't really see that referenced as an argument here. I think it's an interesting one, and it might be one that comes up in respect of a Game Pass price increase, for instance. That's usually when you see those kinds of arguments is, okay, here's the price increase, and now they're they a predator in the marketplace. This is what they did. They subsidized, they lost, they got everybody out, and then they increased their prices. You could make that argument a little bit more clearly at, at the time that they do. Uh, the prognostication there is a little difficult because we don't actually have a lot of transparency as to what that looks like. Thank you for the question. Uh, and I really appreciate the support from the Super Chat. Uh, we have anything else, folks, before we dive into the document proper, please do let me know. Here, because I am very interested at Hoag Law or a Q or a question or anything else. This is not a question, Reform 3D. I appreciate it. You can see it did it did catch my eye. You're the best. Is very nice of you to say. I, I really really appreciate it. Uh, but I don't think there's a question there, unless you want me to just spend a couple sentences refuting that notion. I assure you, I have plenty of foibles, uh, and my co counsel, my wife, would would be more than happy to join in with a few reasons as to why. I don't even any given day. Uh, I am not the best. Noctri, real question. Why didn't we hear from regulatory agencies when Sony was about to crush Microsoft out of the gaming market? Xbox almost died and Sony was still securing deals left and right. I would argue that the merger authority is probably one of the places where antitrust law and regulators are at their strongest place in time, right? Right. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to just come out of the woodwork as a regulator, a, a company that's just doing how it's done things ordinarily and say, okay, now you are violating antitrust law. So Sony starts out with exclusives to try to gain market share to begin with. They continue with that process. However it looks, it's just a little bit harder, both politically and logistically and in front of the judiciary to go out there and say, okay, now it's illegal. It's so one of the problems that you saw with Epic versus Apple, right? Is that Epic came in against Apple and said, your 30% is illegal. It's so the same thing you see with the problems of the Sony $5 billion lawsuit is now your 30% is illegal. And you say, well, when, when did it become that? Because I didn't start out from birth as a market monopolist and I haven't changed anything. So is that a fair kind of use of legal power versus you've got an inflection point here, right? I would like to spend $70 billion, give or take to buy this company, and now the statutes, the regulations are all set up for Now that has to go through a pair of eyes or more than one pair of eyes in all these various jurisdictions where you might do your work. So I think mergers, here we call it the Clayton Act, is one of the strongest points in time for antitrust because you're asking permission to do something by the way that these laws and these statutes are actually structured versus just going out about your business and the government having to come in and say what you are doing is wrong. It's also why we have civil actions that are helpful to kind of highlight these things. Epic versus Apple after all, isn't the FTC versus Apple. It's Epic saying, hey, I'd like to get out of my contract. I think this is illegal and let's all take a look at it which Epic has used to great effect to raise the point in among other places, the European Union. So when we talk about these things, it's not just the lawsuit in general that gets this kind of stuff attention. But that's why I think you don't see any kind of action there. But also because, as I said, antitrust is a political kind of endeavor. If you're not in an era of high levels of antitrust activity, you don't have to worry as much. And it's one of the reasons why corporate lawyers are so interested when, for instance, a presidency changes or the composition of the FTC changes, right? We have uh, one of the Republican nominees to the FTC stepping down either now or in the very near future. It's actually going to shift even further to a kind of three to one. And based on what we saw with Facebook within, there is a very real concern in the transaction world, I can tell you, in the landscape that you're going to get even more aggressive kind of decision making, more than even Facebook within, at least until the judiciary kind of steps in there. So we're going to see how that goes. Thank you for the question. That was great. Um, and uh, I, I wanna say thank you to uh, Roketsu, Morning Ho. Cool to be here live for change. I appreciate that for whatever reason that didn't come across uh, on my, uh, my commentary here. JC Gamer with the super chat. Do you think their cloud platform may affect the deal? I do. I think that that's one of the things that the CMA here is focused on is the concept of their advantage in both infrastructure and kind of first movement. We're going to see that both in this summary And in the overall decision document, we'll see it in a couple of places, some of which makes sense, some of which don't, uh, but they are definitely kind of using that as a handhold to to function on this uh, potential action. Uh, And it was one of the areas that I said would be a possibility because they do have that infrastructure because Microsoft is big tech, even though they're not kind of in the the eye of Sauron for big tech, no pun intended, given the launch of Lord of the Rings tomorrow, uh, and Amazon and Netflix to some extent and social media in general are in that particular position. Uh, Microsoft has avoided some of that analysis, but they do have all that extra infrastructure. Uh, Thank you so much for that question. Okay, let's take a look at this actual document. First, though, we do have a comment from a Luke Steele that says the CMA isn't anywhere near as politicized as the FTC. It's fundamentally as independent as it gets. Well, that's interesting to note, um, because I I definitely would argue this is very aggressive. I don't know whether that's because of political pressures or just general composition of what they're looking at or what they have deemed to do at that agency. The FTC is politicized. We've talked about that. The DOJ, maybe less so. Really depends on how cynical you are towards the American government system. I'll leave that for another video. Uh, But it is interesting to see this level of aggression for what is not the market leader, market monopolist in gaming consoles, certainly. Uh, So we'll see see how that goes a little bit further. So let's look at this document. Take a sip of your drinks, folks. We got them. Whatever kind of drinks that might be. And we'll look at the press release from gov.uk. And this is the CMA's press release. Microsoft Activision deal could lead to competition concerns. And again, I say it's... It's it's could here, this is a little bit better, could lead to concerns, kind of gets that double notion here a little bit better than their tweet did. The Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, is concerned that Microsoft's anticipated purchase of Activision Blizzard could substantially lessen competition in gaming consoles, multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming services. Parenthetical, game streaming. This is right from today, September one. Microsoft is one of three large companies, together with Sony and Nintendo, that have led the market for gaming consoles for the past 20 years with limited entries from new rivals. This is already kind of collapsing things a little bit. Microsoft is one of three large companies. Sony and Nintendo are not large if you're calling Microsoft large. You, You have to try to at least understand the sizing here. Sony and Nintendo are tiny, tiny, tiny compared to Microsoft. Uh, Activision Blizzard has some of the world's best-selling and most recognizable gaming franchises, such as Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. The CMA is concerned. So we've got these sentences that end their paragraphs here, and what are they concerned about? The CMA is concerned that if Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard, it could harm rivals. Again, this has the same problem as the tweet we discussed up top, and... (laughs) Right? Usually, if you're the CMA or the FTC or some regulatory body, you establish that it could illegally or unfairly or monopolistically harm rivals, rather than just harm rivals. That's the nature of competition. Including recent and future entrants into gaming by refusing them access to Activision Blizzard games or providing access on much worse terms. To which everybody in the comments and probably some people already in chat are going to say, but Rick, Final Fantasy VII... Final Fantasy 16, various other things that Sony buys exclusives for to keep them away from their rivals in the manner that we might otherwise describe as competition. And I can only answer, yeah, yes, right? I talked about mergers being an inflection point. It's where the antitrust regulators are at the height of their power, really, in our current regimes. Uh, But it is worth noting that philosophically, it's a little bit difficult to argue well, it's super bad when you're investing $70 billion in the industry to make exclusive these various things, and you might not even be making them all exclusive, as your press releases have said, when your main competitor is in the business of making things exclusive, including missions for Hogwarts Legacy and Final Fantasy 16 in its entirety and all these various other things, and also while your competitor is making significant increases in prices in their console space right now in the jurisdictions that we're otherwise covering. It's a tricky thing to come out with this particular announcement for the benefit of Sony. And we will see that it is specifically for that benefit in the documents that the CMA has provided. And I can't argue the point, guys. I can't tell you that that makes a ton of sense for how we see Sony operate in their market. It's just a matter of degree. And that degree doesn't really change things for effectively what is not the console market leader, even though they come in here and say, hey, maybe it's a potential problem for us. The console stuff, by far the weakest argument that the CMA has. And I fully expect it to actually not pass through the phase two stuff if experts actually look at this and the markets in question. I can't promise that. These are economics people and they can come up with anything that you want them to say. We talked about that in Epic versus Apple. So it very much depends on who the experts are that are looking at these things. But this is by far the weakest point uh, that the CMA has to bring. The CMA has also received evidence about the potential impact of combining Activision Blizzard with Microsoft's broader ecosystem. Microsoft already has a leading gaming console, Xbox, a leading cloud platform, Azure, and the leading PC operating system, Windows, all of which could be important to its success in cloud gaming. Yes, I I would be willing to offer to the CMA that the importance of the cloud platform is important to the nature of cloud gaming. So, there you go. The CMA is concerned that Microsoft could leverage Activision Blizzard's games together with Microsoft's strength across console cloud and PC operating systems to damage competition in the nascent market for cloud gaming services. Again, I think these are overly aggressive because I think cloud gaming and subscription gaming are all a part of what is a market. When we look at a market, and we're not going to go into all the math and all the things that the horizontal merger guidelines here in America say, and whatever the CMA bases it on, when we're looking at a market, the most important thing to look at is are there substitutes for what it is that you are otherwise trying to sell into that market? If I increase the price of Game Pass from $15 to $50, would I expect to still be profitable? Would I expect people to have an avenue with which they could combat that kind of price increase? And I think it is patently self-evident that you do, right? That you can go and you can purchase games, that you can go and you can do other things, that you have other places to go to, whether it's the eShop or the PlayStation Network. And yeah, I don't think that cloud gaming is its own market right now. I think it's an adjunct to the bigger market Even if you want to limit it to primarily kind of console gaming experiences, I think these are business models within that given industry, and that's not the kind of thing we usually see separated out into its own market here. Doesn't mean it won't happen. It is a possibility. It's one I talked about really early on in this video series, and it's one that the CMA has kind of hooked its hat to. The CMA considers these concerns warrant an in-depth phase two investigation. Understand Outside of the publicity here and the press releases and the somewhat difficult to understand tweets, this is basically what happened when the FTC asked for what I called a second look uh, or a second review or something along those lines where they say, yep, this could potentially do something. We're gonna need more info. We're gonna look at this more uh, significantly. That's what is actually happening here in the UK even though this is coming with a lot more bells and whistles and got Microsoft to respond from Phil Spencer to the president of uh, political relations on down. Uh, And so this is just a different way of handling this. In America, we don't do this. We don't publicize these kinds of things. In the UK, they do, apparently. Microsoft and Activision Blizzard now have five working days to submit proposals to address the CMA's concerns. You might see something kind of hand-waved here, Uh, from Microsoft and Activision. I would actually doubt it. I think we're going to go through with phase two. If suitable proposals are not submitted, the deal will be referred to that phase two investigation. Now, what is phase two? Phase two investigations allow an independent panel of experts. Independent to whom? I have many questions about the UK process here, but I'd be interested to see how this panel is selected to probe in more depth the risks identified at phase one. Sorsha O'Carroll, and I apologize if I got that name pronunciation wrong, Senior Director of Mergers at the CMA, or stopping them, am I right? Said, following our Phase 1 investigation, we are concerned that Microsoft could use its control over popular games like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft, notably not a console game, by the way, right this second, post-merger to harm rivals, including recent and future rivals in multi-game subscription services in cloud gaming. So this is interesting, right? We we saw the reference here to console stuff. We saw that tweeted out. By the time you get to the quotes from the actual person that seems to be in charge of this, you're no longer really talking about the weak case. You're no longer talking about consoles. This is limited specifically to rivals in subscription services and cloud gaming. It's inclusive of everything else they've said. So they're sticking with their console argument, but they're not even really pushing it that hard in this quote. If our current concerns are not addressed, we plan to explore this deal in in in-depth phase two investigation to reach a decision that works in the interests of UK gamers and businesses. At phase two, the CMA appoints an independent panel to examine the deal in more depth and evaluate. So it's not independent from the CMA. They're doing the appointing. It's independent, presumably, from Microsoft. And I would also assume it should be independent from Sony given the nature of what their document actually says, and yes, we'll get to that in just a minute, to evaluate whether it is more likely than not. So we go from probable cause to preponderance of evidence. If you're thinking about like the standards of proof, probable cause is basically anything. Hey, we think something could be a problem, so we put it into phase two. Phase two now says they actually have to find that it is more likely than not that a substantial lessening of competition will occur as a result of the merger, which is, they note, a higher threshold than phase one. So the headlines here, a little presumptive, a little premature. We're at the phase where the FTC was when they asked for more documents. It typically builds on the work and evidence from phase one with more third-party engagement via requests for information and use of its statutory powers, those are subpoenas, folks, in gathering internal documents. At phase two, the CMA will also carry out further in-depth review of the merging party's internal documents, which show how they view competition and the market. So end of the day, we're going to look at this document further and talk about why I think some of their arguments are um, attenuated. Uh, But this is basically where we're at with the FTC, and they're going to appoint a panel to look at this stuff, and they're going to ask for more documents from everybody, including Sony. Sony's going to get asked about all this stuff, and that's not unusual. You always have market participants as part of this process. That's what they went out there with as their press release. But as we know here in virtual legality, press releases never tell the whole tale, In fact, we're only getting a summary next of the discussion and the decision here. But before we do, let's go back. I know we got some super chats again, and I know we have some more questions, I'm sure, just based on that press release. We're just gonna do it this way. We're gonna go document questions, document questions, because we just have so much to talk about here. Thank you so much already for hanging out with me for 42 minutes to discuss this. We're not halfway through yet. So let's take a look at the first question. Nathan Wallace, is there a world where it passes in some jurisdictions and not in others. Any thoughts on what that would look like, corporate structure, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a world in which the jurisdictions do not all agree. One of the major tasks that is happening at Microsoft and happens anywhere, this isn't a Microsoft unique thing, is if you're a multinational corporation, you want to sell globally in these markets, you have to go and you have to talk to all these jurisdictions, is you're trying to organize what you're doing in a unified way, right? And we've seen issues with unification of kind of global marketplaces and things like Apple and Android, right? Where the company has to decide, okay, if Singapore or South Korea makes a decision on how we are going to sell our operating system, what do we do with that if we're Apple? Do we accede to it? Do we make a special version of the iPhone or the app OS that only operates in that jurisdiction? Uh, Do we otherwise change everything everywhere? One of the reasons that the data rules and the actual looking at access to these phones in the EU level is so important is that Apple and Android and everybody else is looking at it and saying, okay, well, what do we do? Most ordinarily, if the market is big enough, you start to comport your product with whatever anybody is requesting. And it's a little bit similar with respect to a merger. What what you're trying to do here is say, okay, If I have to agree to a consent decree, the UK thinks about blocking us, the EU thinks about blocking us, the US thinks about blocking us, can we get all these people on the same page? Can we get into a position where we say, okay, We agree to keep Call of Duty on the PlayStation. How long are we doing that, by the way? Generally speaking, in contract land, we don't agree to things forever and ever. And certainly in technology, we know the market will change. We know probably the market participants will change. How long do I have to agree to that? What does that mean? When we talk about feature parity across Sony and Xbox, what do I have to agree to there? It's not my fault if their box doesn't run it as well. How deep do I have to get into the programming weeds there? actually sussing out those kinds of things and then saying, okay, does this work for the FTC? Does this work for the EU? Does this work for the UK? Does this work for New Zealand? Whoever else wants to get involved, generally speaking, you're not bringing in New Zealand because you've got the littler jurisdictions that will follow the bigger ones, because in each jurisdiction, you always have the option of just opting out. Said, all right, we won't sell Xboxes there. We won't otherwise engage in your market And that's a loss to your consumers and you deal with the fallout there. So the smaller jurisdictions tend to follow the bigger jurisdictions. But there's absolutely a world in which one jurisdiction wants to block, wants to ask for certain things, and the other doesn't. And you're trying to unify your business model. You're trying to figure out, okay, what can I do across these things? And that's okay. In the world of digital, you might have some more flexibility. You might have somebody say, well, you actually have to have Call of Duty can't be on Game Pass uh, in the UK for instance, because it just advantages Game Pass too much, just as an example. And you might say, okay, well, we can work that out. We can have geofencing. We can figure that out digitally where it's on Game Pass everywhere else. And we are otherwise comporting with extra requests in these various jurisdictions. This is what the lawyers get paid for. This is what Brad Smith, their vice president of foreign relations or whatever it is called, I apologize for the titling there, uh, gets paid for is this is the biggest deal in gaming history. This is multinational with huge jurisdictions, very interested in all these things and working out what would be acceptable to get it across the finish line in as important the places as possible and what that would look like in respect of a consent decree. So they've already gone out there publicly and signaled, yeah, we're cool with Call of Duty being available on Sony. We're cool with this, we're gonna figure this out. We don't think you need to make a sign anything. That was never gonna fly. That's just them trying to put it out there. We're so good. We're such good corporate citizens. You don't even need to worry about it. You could just trust us, cocktail napkin style. Am I right? No? Okay, then let's start sussing this out. That's why it takes a year, right? Is okay, you've got all of these regulatory bodies, all with different concerns, all with different people operating them and getting them to the same place is, is what you're trying to do. Uh, We'll see that they already comment on a couple of jurisdictions, which they don't mention by name, have already approved the deal, have already sent it through. They've already said it's fine. Uh, They don't, uh, that's likely the smaller jurisdictions uh, more than anything else. I would doubt that it's the United States. They'd probably mention that if it were, Um, but uh, they're trying to get everybody on the same page. So thank you so much for the question and for the support of the channel. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Let's see here before we get on to the big legal document here. Uh, if there's anything else with, uh, again, an at hoc law that I can capture here and question, if they use geofencing, can't people just get around it with a VPN? <clears throat> what? No, nobody would. Nobody would do that. That'd be a potential violation of their end user license agreement. I don't. I, certainly not. Certainly not. I don't know. Ask. Ask Xbox and Microsoft exactly how many people are from New Zealand when a new game drops because Microsoft's uh, Xbox Live setup, or their digital setup at least, uh, seemingly doesn't doesn't care. So people get, I think, everything early just by changing their date and time internally on their Xbox to to New Zealand. Uh, But uh, yeah, it could be a violation. It could be all these various things. In general, remember, uh, Microsoft doesn't care that much in the real politics sense, right? Microsoft... Uh, is doing this because they're forced to by consent decree, it would have to be a consent decree that requires them to be harsher or more policing of those kinds of things than they'd otherwise be inclined to do. And again, that's part of the conversation at the table, right? If you're the UK, just again, hypothetically, we have no idea whether they would ever ask for this. You just say Call of Duty can't be on Game Pass for reasons that probably wouldn't be thrilling for your consumers in the UK. Um, And they say, okay, well, can't people just easily work around that by saying they're in the United States? And Microsoft said, um, no, we think that uh, our, our end user license agreement covers that. Is that good enough for the UK? I don't know. That's these conversations. Just imagine a million of them over the course of a year. JC Gamer 18 asks, could they be allowed to buy the company, but not Call of Duty specifically? And thank you for the super chat and for supporting the channel. Yes. Um, you generally see these called spinoffs. Uh, there are instances, if you recall the Disney times Fox deal. Where some jurisdictions had a concern over some of Fox's assets being overly monopolistic if held in the hands of Disney. And so Disney purchased Fox, but then spun off certain of those assets that then operated independently. Uh, And so you can have jurisdictions that say, okay, you're going to have to take this intellectual property and move it out. separate from you. Um, And you can have any forms of that. It could be completely independent. Uh, It could be a subsidiary, but it has to have an independent board that doesn't match up with Microsoft and it has to maximize you know, specifically revenue for that subsidiary. You'd have all sorts of things uh, that you could come up with. That would be kind of the harsher version of the contractual agreement that we won't make it uh, exclusive to Xbox. I don't see that happening here But again, I'd be lying if I said I really saw all of these antitrust regulators being as aggressive as they seem to be here in the fall of 2022. Um, So yes, they could absolutely start separating things out. As I've said in other videos, they could start asking for concessions about the Bethesda assets. Uh, People don't necessarily believe me when I say that. But at the point in time where the regulator says, we think this deal is a problem, they basically can ask for anything in terms of settlement. We think that this deal is a problem and we're not going to let it through unless Starfield's on PlayStation. You know, anything from there to anything else could be asked for. It's when you get past that point where Microsoft is willing to even consider it, that's when you go into lawsuit land, right? At some point, Microsoft says, well, I don't even think you have a case, right? So let's talk to a judge about it. And then you've got both sides kind of negotiating and bluffing about it with billions of dollars and huge markets and industries on the line. Uh, which is where the drama really, really comes in. My God, if this goes to a federal or other lawsuit, yeah, the playlist is getting a a brother or sister or sibling or otherwise, because we're gonna have a lot to talk about here in Virtual Legality. Uh, Thank you so much for the super chat and for supporting the channel. I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's talk about the legal document itself. Anticipated acquisition by Microsoft Corporation of Activision Blizzard Inc. Summary. Overview of the decision. The Competition and Markets Authority conducted a phase one investigation into the anticipated acquisition of Activision Blizzard Inc. by Microsoft Corporation. After examining a range of evidence, the CMA believes that the merger meets the threshold for reference to an in-depth phase two investigation, giving rise to a realistic prospect. Again, I'm, I'm likening this to probable cause of a substantial lessening of competition, which I've never seen as a defined term before, SLC, in gaming consoles multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming. So consoles themselves, Game Pass, and cloud stuff. As a result of the initial concerns found in the phase one investigation, the CMA is therefore considering whether to accept undertakings under Section 73 of the Enterprise 2002 Act. Undertakings appears to be the name that the UK uses for what I call consent decrees and what I think outside of this context, most people call settlement agreements, right? We agree to do X, Y, and Z, or we agree not to do X, Y, and Z. Microsoft and ABK have until 8 September 2022 to offer an undertaking that might be accepted by the CMA. If no such undertaking is offered, then the CMA will refer the merger for an in-depth phase two investigation pursuant to the act. This would enable the CMA to investigate these concerns in more detail before reaching a final decision on whether or not the merger gives rise to an SLC, substantial lessening of competition. About the gaming industry, we're going to skip most of this. I'm acting on the assumption that most folks that have found themselves here with me in Virtual Legality, and thank you to the 700 of you that are already here, please like it if you are enjoying this content. The same three companies have been the only major suppliers in the console gaming market for the past 20 years. So first, we have the first market separation. And as we've talked about in Virtual Legality, the most important thing in antitrust is defining your market, because if you make a market small enough, if you get rid of all reasonable substitutes, anything is a monopoly, right? As I have said, if you make the market small enough, I am a monopoly provider of virtually legality episodes. Now, does that make any sense to anybody? Are there substitutes for listening to me? Thank God there are, right? And so it would be silly to name a market of any value for purposes of antitrust law as something like one guy making YouTube videos that are hopefully informative and educational. But if you make it small enough, if you make that denominator small enough, Most numerators can start to look like they are a market-powered entity. And so you've got video gaming. Microsoft surely is not a monopolist or have significant market power in the overall concept of video game, which would include console and PC and mobile and VR and everything else that you could possibly put under the interactive entertainment banner. So they're definitely not that. So the first reduction we have here is console gaming market where they're also not a monopolist, but the UK doesn't seem to care and doesn't seem to be using the information that we have about market share within the console gaming space that Microsoft is using a lot because it favors them. We're not actually going to see a lot of numbers here which I thought was really interesting. The gaming industry is the UK's largest revenue generating form of entertainment, go gaming. It is bigger than pay TV, home video, including streaming, cinema, music, or books. In 2021, it generated approximately 7 billion pounds in revenue in the UK. Again, go gaming. For the past 20 years, the same three companies have been the only significant suppliers of console gaming. Microsoft with their Xbox product, Sony with their PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch being the current generation console. That's very generous to Nintendo. Nintendo thanks you for calling the Switch current generation. With little or no entry from new rivals. As part of its investigation, the CMA sought to ensure that the merger would not substantially reduce either current or future potential competition. Part of the difficulty in entering and expanding in the console gaming market is that the existence of strong network effects. Now we're using network effects pretty broadly here. Generally, network effects are increases in value of a product or service by the nature of there being a lot of people within it. Uh, And I'm not sure that that's actually fully what's happening with the console space, right? In the console space, you can be... uh, productive. You can be a winner of market share because you provide a good product. And we'll see that basically described in this paragraph. Network effects is usually what we think of as something like Facebook, where Facebook is inherently more valuable when there are people you're interested in posting on Facebook. Like that's the network effect. Now there are some network effects with respect to console gaming, which is, Hey, I want to play multiplayer games. It would be nice if I'm not one of six people that own this console to play multiplayer on in the country. But that's not really what they talk about here. So let's see what the CMA says. Console providers such as Microsoft compete to attract users who want to play high quality games. Yeah. Often with friends, there's you get that kind of weak network effect, as well as high quality content from game developers who want to make games for consoles with a large user base. Again, not really the network effect there. That's, hey, we want to make our stuff for successful products. Consoles with a lot of gamers attract better content. Uh Uh-huh which in turn attracts more gamers to that console, which in turn attracts better content and so on. That's kind of the the virtuous cycle of making a good product versus kind of some kind of lock-in effect. But again, we see antitrust regulators, and the CMA is not alone in this, so I don't want to throw them under the bus here, suggesting that in the digital landscape, making a really good product that a lot of people like that makes more people want to put stuff on that product, et cetera, et cetera, is somehow deleterious to competition when I would argue it's the exact intent and effect of competition. This self-reinforcing mechanism makes it more difficult for new entrants without a large user base or good pre-existing gaming content to enter in, grow in the market. And that might be true. I mean, obviously Sony was a disruptor in the 90s. Xbox was a disruptor in the aughts. Nintendo is so weird. It's constantly a disruptor in its own market, right? And it can go from the Switch... Uh, It can go from the Wii to the Wii U to the Switch, and those are not at all building off of each other. It's almost like they're a new entrant every single time, which makes gaming and technology kind of weird. It's one of those areas, and and we'll just announce biases and tilts here, right? I'm a technology lawyer, that I think sometimes regulators get a little bit um, too invested in what the current market situation is. We do see technology companies come and go, rise and fall, and the gaming industry for every generation, as far as I can tell, has been pretty responsive to consumer requirements, right? When you see the Xbox 360 dominate uh, the PlayStation 3 and then the PlayStation 4 dominate the Xbox One, that is indicative of a healthy market, that you don't have this kind of lock-in effect, this network effect, that people are bouncing between what the actual product is that is being offered. And any technology company of a sufficient size, including the Amazons of the world, could get in on this If they wanted to. And I think this is a little bit disingenuous to seeing that dynamism that happens in the video game industry and the technology industries in general. And it suggests that they are focusing on that kind of crystallized in amber version of the market that I talked about when we looked at their tweets. In addition to consoles, people play games on personal computers and mobile devices. It's good to acknowledge. And I do respect that this report does seem to be including this paragraph as that kind of mitigating circumstances concept. Hey, it's, it's, we should note that console games are not the only place to play games, uh, but it doesn't seem to come to much effect. Consoles and PCs can usually process larger and more complex games, such as Call of Duty, as if Call of Duty Mobile isn't one of the most revenue generating mobile games in the world, fair enough. Mobile devices currently lack the technical capabilities to play most console games, and most people use them to play more casual games such as Candy Crush. I do love that a report like this doesn't require like sourcing at all. It's like, okay, I think of it as Candy Crush and Clash of Clans and things like that, but don't sleep on some of the mobile revenue generators in terms of what they are, including Call of Duty. Subscription services and cloud gaming are growing. This is true. Good job, CMA. The CMA believes the gaming industry is in a transitional phase. And again, this is true. The CMA is right to point this out. It is also where if I were to give suggestions to regulators, we take a bit of a softer approach when a market is still being built to not try to just foist on any given market entrant, competitor or otherwise what we think that industry should be when we don't even know what it is yet. Over the past several years, gamers have typically accessed games by paying an upfront fee and downloading the relevant games from a digital storefront, such as the Xbox store, to their console or device. This is interesting for typical, right? Because it's also kind of forecloses physical. We've typically accessed games by paying and downloading. Maybe not wrong. I think we might have passed the 50% mark, but that's certainly not typical historically. For consoles, this buy-to-play model, whereby the gamer pays for the game in full and then accesses the software locally, remains the primary mode of delivering games. In recent years, two important and closely related disruptions have started to emerge in the gaming industry. The first is the development of cloud gaming services, a technology that allows complex games to be accessed on remote servers and streamed directly to a device. Since games are executed remotely, gamers can play using a range of devices that can be less powerful and are often cheaper than consoles, such as mobile phones or tablets. All right, we have to talk about cheaper a a little bit here, CMA. Um, I don't disagree with what you're saying here in general, uh, that you can have less processing power on these various things. I'm not sure I would use mobile phones and tablets as my parenthetical example of what is cheaper than, say, an Xbox or uh, even an Xbox Series S, uh, right? Mobile phones and tablets, in my experience are more expensive. I'm sure there are outliers on either side, and certainly you don't need a powerful tablet to effectively get a big broadband stream uh, coming in. But I don't know that they're often cheaper. That seems to be taking an extra base when you didn't need one. You've already made the point. There have been several recent entrants into the gaming industry using this disruptive technology, including Amazon Luna, used by a lot of folks, I know, Netflix, Google Stadia, Black Nut, GeForce Now, as well as publishers like Ubisoft, Many industry experts predict that cloud gaming will continue to grow significantly in the coming years. In all fairness, I've heard good things about Amazon Luna. I just don't know how many people are accessing it. And Netflix is in the mobile gaming industry, but not otherwise cloud gaming. So we've got things here that are like adjacent to true. And and I get the point that they are making, but when you're making a document like this, which is pretending to potentially stop a $70 billion deal I'd wanna be very clear on this kind of stuff. The second important development is the emergence of multi-game subscription services. Unlike the traditional buy-to-play model, these services allow gamers to access a catalog of games for a fixed, often monthly, fee. Some subscription services currently offer games that must be downloaded and played on consoles. Yes, the, the biggest one with a smaller selection of games that can be streamed from cloud infrastructure, such as Xbox, Game Pass, and other subscription services offer gaming libraries that are entirely cloud-based, such as Luna and Stadia. While most of the revenue in the industry continues to be generated from the purchase of individual games, multi-game subscription services are rapidly growing and have attracted a range of new entrants, including Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, Amazon, Apple, Electronic Arts, Ubisoft, Nvidia, Netflix, Utomic, Blacknut, and Google. Now, A, this is an interesting way to describe this because even though Microsoft is clearly in the lead on Game Pass, this, this sounds like there's a lot of entrance and a lot of dynamism in the industry, and we should see where it comes out, right? Also, I don't, I don't know what Nintendo's multi-game subscription services, are they thinking of the, the expansion pass uh, to their to their multiplayer thing? I, I guess that's what that is. I've never really thought about it that way. So good on you, CMA. You're making me see a different perspective on these things. But again, it doesn't sound like a market that is either solid right now or finished figuring out who the market participants are. Although the console gaming market is highly concentrated, the CMA believes that the shift to cloud gaming services and multi-game subscription services is opening a window of opportunity for new entrants, which sounds like substitutes, sounds like the same market. To succeed, these new entrants will need to offer a strong gaming catalog that will attract users. Maybe, right? We're in the technology spheres, folks here. So yes, good games are important. You could have the best streaming technology, you could have the lowest price, you could have the lowest price and best streaming technology. And then the games will be kind of a part of that, but maybe not the whole thing. So will they need a strong gaming catalog? It really depends. It's just important to note that there are many other ways to compete in technology, in streaming, in cloud, everything else that doesn't necessarily need call of duty on the thing to make your prospect work. Cloud gaming service providers will also need access to cloud infrastructure and an operating system license, especially Windows, which is the operating system for which most PC games are designed. And that may or may not change as the Steam Deck gains prominence and uses their, I think it's Linux kernel. It's hard to say. Steam Deck is pretty amazing, folks. Check it out. Um, But that's interesting in and of itself, right? Because we've seen that Microsoft is more than happy to license Azure out to whoever wants it, right? They want to have that position in the cloud market, not just gaming market, and Sony itself has a partnership with Microsoft for Azure Access. So it's one of those things where it's kind of skipping the fact that cloud stuff is competing with other cloud stuff, like Amazon, for Pete's sake, another giant corporation. And this is taking a very thin slice of what's happening here and putting it in the place that is the most negative towards Microsoft. You don't have to love Microsoft to look at these things and realize the CMA is cutting corners a little bit to describe this particular deal in this way. About the business and the transaction, Microsoft has a strong gaming ecosystem. Microsoft is a global technology company offering a wide range of products and services with a global turnover of nearly 125 billion pounds in fiscal year 2021. Since 2001, it has released several generations of Xbox gaming consoles, and Xbox is one of the three major consoles in the market alongside Sony PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. Gamers typically download digital copies of the games they want to play on Xbox from Microsoft's Xbox Store. Microsoft also offers a multi-game subscription service, Xbox Game Pass, where the gamers pay a monthly fee to gain access to a library of downloadable and cloud-based gaming content. And these actually aren't separate so much. It's just cloud as an access point. Microsoft is also a game publisher and currently owns 24 game development studios, several of which it acquired in recent years. These studios make games such as Minecraft, Forza, Elder Scrolls, and Halo for Xbox and other consoles, PC, and mobile devices. Some of this content is available exclusively on Xbox, and some is licensed to rival console providers. Microsoft has other business areas that are relevant to gaming. One is Azure a leading cloud platform, i.e. a network of data centers and cloud computing infrastructure that offers a wide range of services across several industries, including gaming. Another is Windows, the leading PC operating system. Many people play games on a PC rather than a console, and the vast majority of them use Windows. Because of its popularity, game developers generally make games that are designed and optimized for Windows. Now, you don't, you'll don't, notice that we don't have any kind of PC reference here to a monopolization of the PC side of things. So one does wonder exactly what they're getting at here. We know from the press release that they're trying to establish that you put all these things together to make Microsoft into a potential monopolist in like cloud and subscription. But a lot of what they say here sounds again, like a dynamic industry that has multiple participants that Microsoft is already making competitive based decisions on any given product on. And we're wondering where the there is as we get onto page four of the document. Activision is a game developer and publisher with global turnover of £6.3 billion in fiscal year 2021. It develops gaming content for consoles, PC, and mobile. ABK's three most popular franchises, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush account for most of its revenue. Candy Crush, by the way, the most, even though we're not going to talk about it that much. Call of Duty in particular is widely regarded as one of the most successful gaming franchises of all time. For more than a decade, its releases have ranked in the top games available on console and are expected to continue to do so. (laughs) They hope... Microsoft's acquisition of ABK is a significant transaction, granted CMA. The CMA's assessment. All right, let's get the rubber and the road. I'm going to take a sip of something here. What do we think so far from just the headline, the overall description of what they've put forth in this deal, and before we even get to their specific analysis? We've got comments like, I wouldn't have used Netflix in his example. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. It's not about Microsoft's gaming side only. It is for this purpose. They're going to focus on gaming for what they talk about. It's software as a service gaming with Game Pass, cloud gaming, and console infrastructure. Um, uh, it's about Microsoft as a corporate group. They may be getting at that, but that's not how this is organized. And realistically, it's not how it could be organized for this specific merger, whether it's blocked or otherwise. Uh Luke says the monopoly element is not something that triggers the CMA to refer to phase two. The threshold is much, much lower, a substantial lessening of competition. You don't have to be a monopolist. You still have to get to lessening of competition. That's the same way the Clayton Act works, by the way. We've talked about that. And we've also talked about the fact that monopoly itself is not illegal. But in order to substantially lessen competition, you have to have some form of market power that allows you to get either super competitive prices or otherwise. Uh, and so you still have to have that probable cause, which I agree, sounds like a very low standard in the UK to get to that phase two. And by the way... I told everybody, I thought every regulator would get to whatever their equivalent of phase two was because at $70 billion, just this price alone, the size alone gets you to, hey, this could this could affect things. And so you always go to phase two. But we're looking specifically at the arguments they make here and finding them a little bit wonky. Maxime disagrees that the video game market is healthy. EA, Sony, and ABK are all hated by the community with very low quality games. I, I'm not... I'm not sure I would describe their games as very low quality, especially Sony's. I think Sony's games are generally treated as as fairly high quality, if not very high quality. We we can see that with just recently. I think The Last of Us Part 1 has like almost a 90 review score that's coming out tomorrow. Uh, EA is hated for other reasons, as you point out, microtransactions and You can say Activision Blizzard is hated, it's hated in certain aspects. It's hated in Twitter, it's hated in Reddit, it's hated in certain forums and things like that. It also is undoubtedly one of the most profitable and best-selling game companies on earth. Um, And so I think that from a market standpoint, which is what these regulators are looking at, they're not looking at Reddit posts as to whether or not somebody likes Call of Duty Vanguard, Uh, I think the gaming industry is very healthy in its dynamism right now. Talk to me in a couple years as we get done with consolidation, of course, Uh, But I think what we have seen historically is a market that is very willing to shift and consumers that are very willing to react to what product is actually put before them. Takari Zahn says, I believe this is weak so far because they are separating cloud and gaming. Cloud isn't separate as it has both mobile PC and console games. I think that's one of the weaknesses that you will see is that they have taken these markets in subscription and cloud and said they are separate. When I think at bare minimum, along with console, they are the same that they are substitutes for each other. And when you have substitutes that are valid for those purposes, then you should be treating that as a single market and seeing if there is that value. Uh, Drawn TJ says, Sony already had a streaming service. It's their fault for not wanting to do it better. The gaming industry is healthy. It's talking, of course, about PlayStation Now uh, here. And and PlayStation Now always was kind of the back burner uh, marketing aspect, I think, of the PlayStation network ecosystem. So it's a fair point. What if Microsoft bans you on every Microsoft IP when you talk bad about an IP from them or point something out that is the law? Is there a law that protects us from that? Well, honestly, I have a video in Virtual Reality where they try to separate out like talking on Xbox Live from dealing with their other intellectual property. Because one of the issues that you have, right, is that if you say something that Microsoft doesn't like on Xbox Live, and honestly, there's a ton of people that say a whole host of things that are terrible, and I wouldn't recommend. If you say something bad on Xbox Live, the concern you have is. Okay, so I got a little spicy while playing Call of Duty. Do I lose access to my law firm's Outlook account? (laughs) Right, like what what happens there? And they've tried to separate some of those things, but there are still gray areas. And that's something that we're gonna have to deal with going forward as a society, Uh, because we've seen it in a couple of places. We see it with Xbox Live and, and enterprise software. We see it with what was originally the kind of Facebook treatment of whether or not you could get banned from using your Oculus Quest for saying something that Facebook didn't approve of, especially during like the pandemic. Um, And so these are very, very interesting questions. I would argue that the law probably doesn't treat with them properly right now because an end user license agreement is an end user license agreement. Uh, But it is something that folks are probably gonna have to focus on a little bit in terms of keeping things siloed that if you're playing something in a video game and you do something that they don't like, especially if it's kind of dicey that they even have the power to do something on that, uh, then you probably shouldn't lose access to your livelihood just as a for instance, uh, right? So those are those are interesting questions in and of themselves. RJH says there may be a large share of people that hate some of their games like Sony, Activision, and EA that were brought up, but that doesn't matter when they make a lot of money. Not for evaluating the market, certainly. I think Activision needs some new management. I can't blame you there. They've been in virtually as much as they have because of some silly things that they have done and certainly in the responses uh, that they made. Joe says there's a reason that all these publishers are looking to sell. Yes, although I would say predominantly the reason is that there's money out there and you always evaluate your options when people are spending huge amounts of money on things and that's going to play a factor in that. That's why there are these kinds of waves of consolidation and there might be waves of diversification at some point because game development has a history of having offshoot companies, right? Respawn, one of EA's most valuable assets, is an offshoot of Activision and Infinity Ward specifically. Uh, Gracefully Insane says, Sony spent nearly two decades trying to get some kind of proprietary format and then more recently loads of gaming exclusives either in whole or things like Destiny with year-long exclusives. Yeah, absolutely. That's been part of Sony's business model. Um, Luke uh, says, I agree on my talking about the thresholds for phase one, but my point is that being a monopoly is a threshold that essentially extends to complete domination of the market, whereas the CMA is looking for something much less than that. Absolutely. No question. And it's a very good point of clarification, Luke, uh, that we are not talking about somebody that has to have maybe even 40% of a market, but we do need to have somebody that has the ability to assert market power. Uh, And I have questions on that, especially in the UK from Microsoft and especially in the console space uh, where that doesn't appear to be the case. And we don't actually get evidence of it in this document one way or the other. Uh, and I think we did have a super chat right here before we go back to the document. Joe, thank you so much for the super chat and for supporting the channel. Why are all these healthy profitable publishers looking to sell them? Oh, I answered this separately. Well, I appreciate the super chat Uh, anyway, and that is we are in an era of consolidation. Uh, And so, yes, you can be profitable, but it's work, right? And if somebody comes in and says, hey, we'd like to take a fully functional company off your hands because we have a lot of cash money right now. We're looking at an inflationary environment. We want to invest in certain things, et cetera, et cetera you're going to go and you're going to evaluate those deals. You're going to look at them pretty carefully. It looks like EA is shopping around, but that could be because EA just wants to get out of the business, or it could be because at that point in time, from the rumors that we heard in May, Comcast was putting around silly money, right? And if you've got silly money, most people will sell their assets to you if you just come in with a huge overmarket offer. Uh, And that goes from corporate institutions like EA to people with houses that somebody really wants. Uh, You can always come in and you have to entertain that offer if it's just that much money. Um, so we don't know what that looks like, uh, but we are in that era of everybody scrambling, right? It's essentially a land rush uh, from especially these tech companies. And so if you're EA or you're Ubisoft or you're Square or you're anybody else, you're taking the call uh, and that becomes rumors. That becomes something that continues to spiral that era of consolidation forward. So that's what I think we are seeing. And I think we are ready to continue with this. This is not going to get any less wacky. Uh, And if you do uh, hate Sony, don't hate boxes. Don't hate corporate brand names. Don't love them either. Don't just be blind supporters. But if you do hate Sony, this is going to start to get a little painful for you. So how did the CMA investigate the merger? Uh, Oh, I don't want to skip the first couple paragraphs. Why is the CMA looking at the merger? The CMA's primary duty is to seek to promote competition. So we were right there. Just based on the name. It's the same kind of concept as the FTC and the DOJ in the U.S., both within and outside the U.K. for the benefit of consumers. So it's for the benefit of U.K. citizens. That's how it works. But we do care about the overall health of the industry because that all goes together. It has a duty to investigate mergers that could raise competition concerns in the U.K., provided it has jurisdiction to do so. And I'm going to skip the jurisdiction paragraph. I think they undoubtedly have jurisdiction. They have that much sell-through into the U.K. as a, a specific place on Earth so they can look at this for that purpose. How did the CMA investigate the merger? At phase one, the CMA needs to establish whether there is a realistic prospect of an SLC, that's that substantial lessening of competition, which merits a reference to an in-depth phase two investigation. Is there any kind of possibility that this could have that lessening of competition? The answer to that is yes. I would also argue that the answer to that is yes. Absolutely look at it further. This is a big freaking deal. Big freaking deal. This is a lower threshold than that used during a phase two investigation, which requires the CMA to conclude that the merger is likely to result in an SLC in order to prohibit the transaction. So again, if you're thinking about this in criminal terms or just terms that you might recognize better, we're at the probable cause step, we're at the grand jury indictment, maybe the search warrant issuance step you might be familiar with in the news rather than actually finding a conviction, actually finding the ability to say, hey, we can block this deal. To understand the implications of the merger on competition, the CMA gathered information from a wide variety of sources, including by using the CMA's statutory information gathering powers to ensure that the CMA has as complete a picture as possible under the constraints of the statutory timetable. Statutory. As part of its phase one investigation, the CMA gathered data and reviewed over 1,000 internal documents from Microsoft and Activision Blizzard to understand their businesses, their future strategies, and the gaming industry as a whole. So so pity the regulators with their thousand documents of Microsoft and ABK stuff. Can you imagine how long the virtual reality episode would be for that? The CMA also gathered evidence from other market participants, such as game developers and competitors across console, cloud, PC and mobile gaming, which included both written and oral submissions as well as their internal documents. This evidence shows that the merger could impact competition in several ways in investigating the merger and consistent with the CMA's strict legal time constraints at phase one, so they have a short period of time to look at this, the CMA focused on the most important ways in which the merger could potentially harm competition, both now and in the future. These theories of harm assess the harm to competition that could arise from A and B. A, Microsoft withholding or degrading Activision's content, including popular games such as Call of Duty, from other consoles or multi-game subscription services. So the first theory of harm is what would it look like if Microsoft kept Call of Duty off the PlayStation or off PlayStation Plus? And we're just gonna focus it on Sony because they're gonna focus it on Sony in this document. uh, What does that look like? Does that harm competition or does it merely harm Sony? And I don't think the CMA, and honestly I don't think a lot of people that are commenting on this make the distinction in the way that the law actually suggests should be required. And B, Microsoft leveraging its broader ecosystem together with ABK's game catalog to strengthen network effects raise barriers to entry, and ultimately foreclose rivals in cloud gaming services. So the focus here, even though we're going to reference Game Pass, which is up here with consoles, this second part is, are we making it really hard for someone to get into the Game Pass competition space? And this was always the avenue of attack that I thought a legitimate, aggressive antitrust regulator could take. Hey, if we do something with Call of Duty, we pull all of this stuff. We're the only place you can get it is on our Game Pass service. Can we crush PlayStation Plus? Can we crush whatever anybody else might bring in? And I I think that there is at least an argument that is advantaging Microsoft. I don't think they have the market power, nor do I think the regulation is required in an industry that is so small and connected with consoles and everything else. But this is what I saw happening from somebody that wanted to make this case against Microsoft. It is not crazy, unlike Unlike A, in my opinion, a game-changing merger. Microsoft already holds a strong position in the gaming industry through its established Xbox console, which has a large user base and a strong catalog of gaming content. So here we're hiding the ball a little bit, right? Large user base. Yeah, absolutely. Largest? No. And compared to the other two together, not even close. Microsoft has been steadily strengthening its gaming ecosystem in line with the evolution of the gaming industry including by acquiring independent game studios such as Bethesda last year, expanding Game Pass and developing its cloud infrastructure to better support its gaming activities. Now, here's one question I would ask as we go through these sections, right? Is when you read one of these sentences, consider for a moment, whether you think it sounds like evidence that something bad is going to happen or evidence that Microsoft is investing in and competing more fulsomely, more strongly in the industry as it stands providing more potentially better content and quality to gamers, to users. Because I would argue that a lot of these sentences like this one sound like a healthy company investing more in an industry and competing harder by providing more things to customers, which at least ostensibly is what we want our corporate actors to be doing. Acquiring ABK would significantly expand Microsoft's own gaming library adding some of the world's best-selling and most recognizable franchises, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush. The CMA is concerned that having full control over this powerful catalog, especially in light of Microsoft's already strong position in gaming consoles, operating systems, and cloud infrastructure, could result in Microsoft harming consumers by impairing Sony's ability to compete. Now, it's important how this sentence is structured because that's first and foremost, what's at issue here. And I would argue that that's first and foremost, what's at issue across this entire document, which I have to admit is wild to me. You can go back in the videos. And as I discuss what's happening in Brazil and Sony's comments there, I will say something along the lines of Sony knows that it can't argue that this deal is specifically problematic just because it harms us, that they don't have a right to consumers buying a PlayStation 5 uh, and that anybody that wants to compete with that should be allowed to do so and that they're not just entitled to their locked in market share. This kind of sentence suggests that the CMA is approaching it as if they are. And that is wild to me, that you could get in trouble because your proposition to users is becoming strong enough that you can hurt Sony. And then you frame it as the ability to compete This is just the offering of a product. This isn't affecting Sony's ability to compete. They could spend money. They could make their own game. They could buy a different company. They just bought Bungie. They just bought Bungie CMA. And not only did they just buy Bungie, they just increased their prices. Oh, and we'll see reference from Phil Spencer about another significant investment they might have announced yesterday. Um, And so this gets really, really odd. Now, they have to bring in some other information, because if you just left the sentence at this, this would be called out by every journalist on Earth as well as that of other existing rivals. So you're going to harm Nintendo? Maybe. And potential new entrants. I've already said the industry doesn't usually have potential new entrants. It's kind of a rare occurrence. Who could otherwise bring healthy competition through innovative multi-game subscriptions and cloud gaming services. Their offering will be too good to actually compete with. I mean, it's an argument, folks. What could be the impact of the merger on gaming consoles and subscription services? The CMA has gathered substantial evidence from Microsoft, ABK, and third parties to assess the significance of ABK's gaming portfolio. This evidence consistently pointed to ABK's content, especially Call of Duty, as being important and capable of making a material difference to the success of rivals gaming platforms. So we see Sony here identified here as the chief rival. We've seen Sony's response in Brazil saying that Call of Duty being exclusive to Microsoft could make people buy more Xboxes and fewer PlayStations, And the CMA, for whatever reason, is taking that concept as a potential antitrust violation. Now, I sat here and told you that convincing people to buy Xboxes instead of PlayStations was not a violation of competition law. In fact, that's competition. But the CMA uh, has disagreed. ABK invests significant time and capital in creating regular Call of Duty releases, which consistently rank as some of the most popular games. This is a sentence we saw Sony say to Brazil. These titles require thousands of game developers in several years to complete and there are very few other game, uh, games of similar caliber or popularity. This is a sentence we saw Sony sent to Brazil. So all of this looks like Sony's uh, document, looks like Sony's answer to these questions. It mirrors exactly what they told the Brazilian authorities on this point, which means that the CMA and the UK in general right now has taken as part of this process, which Luke in the comments has rightly said is, is a somewhat small threshold just to get to phase two, and taking it as true, essentially said, okay, if we assume that's correct, yes, there's something more to investigate. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that exactly, but this is clearly Sony's voice here talking about what the effects of Call of Duty are and not in a way that I think is terribly antitrust oriented. The CMA believes the merger could allow Microsoft to make Activision content, including Call of Duty, exclusive to Xbox or Game Pass, or otherwise degrade its rivals' access to ABK content, such as by delaying releases or imposing licensing price increases. This type of concern is known as input foreclosure, where a firm uses its control of an important input to harm its rivals. Now, look, it's been a while since I've been in economics class, but I don't know that I have ever framed video games, final products that go out to the market as inputs in something else. So if you're thinking about this at home, an input is generally something that you use to make something else. When we talk about input foreclosure, usually what we're really worried about is that you're going to monopolize steel and that's going to prevent your competitors in making cars from being able to make them at all or make them at a reasonable price or get them out and that you're monopolizing an input into the process of making something. So here, even though Call of Duty is a a kind of output, the CMA is framing it as an input towards the selling of a console or the selling of a subscription service. And it's a bit of a novel approach. I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong, but it's not the way we usually think about these things. I think it looks more closely like competing on actual product quality uh, and product availability rather than input foreclosure But they're using language that is suggestive of another kind of set of precedents that they likely have in the UK and that we certainly have in the US to try to make this a stronger case. And again, I think this is stealing a base a little bit because this isn't how I usually would explain what's happening here. The CMA examined internal documents and economic analyses to assess whether Microsoft would have an incentive to use ABK's content to foreclose rivals. The CMA did not limit its analysis to an assessment of the short-term or static costs and benefits to Microsoft of engaging in these strategies. So now we're going to try to use our crystal ball. And this is the unfortunate part about antitrust. The CMA has to do this. The FTC has to do this, all this kind of stuff. They have to guess at things. And one of the sentences here that we just read says, we're not going to limit this to what we can see right now. We're going to project out because that's what we do. But as you project out, as you can probably guess from just looking at weather reports or anything out the further you project out, the weaker your logistical and logical claims can become. Rather, the CMA considered Microsoft's broader strategies as evidenced by its internal documents and historical course of dealing following similar transactions in the past. Now, this is really going to be cheating. And you can already read ahead if you've got this on your screen. But this historical course of dealing, they are really cheating on this one. The CMA found that the potential strategic benefits to Microsoft of using ABK's content to foreclose rivals, such as expanding the Game Pass user base and strengthening network effects in its gaming ecosystem, could outweigh any immediate losses in terms of licensing revenues. The CMA notes that Microsoft has followed this approach in several past acquisitions of gaming studios. Okay, this is where we get into the cheating. The CMA notes that Microsoft has followed, that's past tense, folks, this approach in several past acquisitions of gaming studios. Then what we're going to be talking about is Bethesda, where it made future game releases from these studios exclusive in consoles to Xbox, such as the upcoming Starfield, and based on Microsoft's public statements, Elder Scrolls 6 from Bethesda, which I might be dead before that game comes out, a studio Microsoft acquired as part of its USD $7.5 billion acquisition in 2021. So here's why you're cheating, Right. The CMA notes that it has followed this approach in several past acquisitions for games that aren't even out yet. Yes, it sure as heck seems like Starfield is going to be on Game Pass. It's going to be an exclusive. Who knows what's going to happen to Elder Scrolls 6? I might be dead. We all might be dead. There might be six participants. We're all playing in VR and we're all owned by Jeff Bezos. Nobody has any idea what the world looks like when Elder Scrolls 6 comes out. I promise you that. And yet the CMA notes that Microsoft has followed this approach. Microsoft has not pulled the trigger yet. Microsoft hasn't released anything that is referenced in this sentence yet. So they've indicated that they're going to follow this approach. Absolutely, go for it, go nuts. This doesn't make any sense. Why would you write it this way? I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. The CMA believes that in the short to medium term, the main rival that could be affected by this con- conduct would be Sony. Evidence suggests that Microsoft and Sony compete closely with each other in terms of content, target audience and console technology. If You're looking for a Nintendo side swipe, here it comes. Nintendo, on the other hand, competes less closely with either of Sony or Microsoft, generally offering games that focus more on family fun and innovative ways of playing. For example, the Wii Fit board. Topical and timely, CMA. You went looking for Nintendo being weirdos and you came up with something from a different generation of console releases. Yeah, they released the Wii Fit board. That was super weird. You might have used the Labo or the fact that the Switch is portable at all. The Switch itself, uh, maybe. Basically anything Nintendo does ever. uh, But instead you went with the good old Wii Fit board. Thanks. And it does not currently offer any Call of Duty games on the Nintendo Switch. Granted. PlayStation currently has a larger share of the console gaming market than Xbox. Seems a problem for your entire complaint, CMA. But... The CMA considers that Call of Duty is significantly important that losing access to it or losing access on competitive terms could significantly impact Sony's revenues and user base. It sure could. It's almost like you spend $70 billion to accomplish something. This impact is likely to be felt, especially at the launch of the next generation of consoles, which is pretty optimistic, CMA. I'm not positive there is a next generation of consoles or that it looks anything like the prior generations, but here we are where gamers make fresh decisions about which console to buy. So again, acknowledging the dynamism in the market, the CMA believes that the merger could therefore significantly weaken Microsoft's closest rival to the detriment of overall competition in console gaming. Is weakening your closest rival necessarily to the detriment of competition? Or as we have seen in other generations, does it increase competition when the other side has to get its act together? Now, I do think there's a place where Microsoft can just be subsidizing everything and spending money willy-nilly and just dominating the market, where maybe you have to look at this and say, hmm, we have to talk about what is happening here. But is this that time? And does this sentence make any sense? Where you go and you buy something and you say, our our Xbox is now more attractive. Is that anti-competitive? I would argue pretty vociferously that it is not. As the market for multi-game subscription gaming services grows, Microsoft could use its control over ABK content to foreclose rivals, including recent and future entrants into gaming, as well as more established players such as Sony. Absent the merger, ABK games would in principle be available to any multi-game subscription service. The CMA recognizes that ABK's newest games are not currently available on any subscription service on the day of release, but considers that this may change as subscription services continue to grow. After the merger, Microsoft would gain control of this important input and could use it to harm the competitiveness of its rivals. As the multi-game subscription market is still in its infancy, the effect of the merger could be to tip or significantly increase concentration in the market in Microsoft's favor before future rivals have a chance to develop. That's the Game Pass subscription market, I believe. The CMA therefore believes that the merger gives rise to significant competition concerns in multi-game subscription services, including cloud gaming services, to the extent these are distributed through the multi-game subscription services. And again, we have the same issue here. Right? So again, is this a reduction in competition? Are you weakening the competition because you're providing potentially a better product? Uh, Right? And when we're talking about consumers, if we're getting consumers Call of Duty products on Game Pass for uh, a lower price at a similar level of quality, is that a reduction in competition? To me, when I was learning about antitrust law and I was in economics, it would be if you could prove that essentially it was being sold at a loss or was being predatory in some fashion. But otherwise, we don't have a prognostication uh, ability at the antitrust level or at the lawyer's level. We don't have Dr. Strange's powers to go and look at what a different universe looks like at this. So Cetris Paribus, all things being equal, you would say that if Call of Duty used to be 70 bucks and you had to buy it and it's now on Game Pass and it's the same game that consumers could be benefiting from that potential business model shift and that Sony would have to figure out a way to compete with that. And that's what competition looks like and consumers are the benefactors of all those different changes. Instead, the CMA is coming out here and suggesting that we can't have that level of uh, business model adjustment. And if we try to have it, that will constitute a new market. And if you try to kill your competitors before they get started, that in and of itself is a problem. Now, is all of this wrong? Not necessarily, but it's a very aggressively stated and very defensive of Sony and their market share when they're the market leader. It's wild to see this all written down. What could be the impact of the merger on cloud gaming services? In the longer term, many market participants expect cloud gaming to grow and for gamers to shift from console gaming to cloud gaming on a range of devices. If they're shifting, those are substitutes. (laughs) This market is growing rapidly and has seen several new entrants that were previously not active in console gaming, including cloud platform providers such as Google and Amazon and game developers such as Ubisoft. Pretty sure Ubisoft was active in console gaming, but fair enough, CMA, on your sentence. This also suggests dynamism in the market. Microsoft already has a combination of assets that is difficult for other cloud gaming service providers to match, probably not Amazon. By having a large and well-distributed cloud infrastructure, Microsoft will be able to host games on its servers on preferential terms and reach gamers throughout the world without having to pay a fee to third-party cloud platforms. By having Windows, the OS where the vast majority of PC games are played, Microsoft can stream games to Windows PCs without having to pay an expensive Windows licensing fee and may be able to design and test games made for Windows more effectively than rivals. So this is kind of a vertical merger concept. And by having an existing console ecosystem, Microsoft has an existing user base of gamers to which it can promote its cloud gaming services as well as a range of popular games that it can offer. Again, as I said before, think of that paragraph and think of you as a consumer and whether or not you should be upset about that. The merger would therefore bring together the company in a uniquely strong position to offer cloud gaming services with one of the industry's strongest gaming catalogs. This sounds like a Microsoft press release. The CMA is concerned that by leveraging ABK's content and Microsoft's wider ecosystem, Microsoft will have an unparalleled advantage over current and potential cloud gaming service providers. This could result in increased concentration, concentration in cloud gaming services or the market tipping to Microsoft and ultimately deny consumers the benefits of competition between new and emerging providers buying to succeed in cloud gaming. The CMA recognizes that if Microsoft were to significantly increase its market power in cloud gaming services, This could have knock-on effects on independent game developers and publishers who compete against Microsoft's own gaming portfolio and who could be disadvantaged in a number of ways, such as by having to pay higher fees or by being demoted on Microsoft's gaming ecosystem. If they get too big and the market transitions solely to uh, either subscription services or cloud services, then Microsoft can ding the developers as they come in. That's not necessarily wrong but we're a number of steps away from that in what we're looking at right now today with the purchase of Activision Blizzard, not cloud gaming oriented, not anything specific to that. This is really trying to prognosticate out into the future while also acknowledging that it's very dynamic and that Microsoft might have a very compelling consumer facing offering. It's a very interesting argument. What happens next? We go to phase two. So that's the legal document. I know it took some reading to get through. So I I know we have some super chats. I'll try to grab them all. Uh, If you have any other questions, we're gonna talk about that. Then we're going to get into Microsoft's response, which as I promised is corporatized. It's clearly been vetted. That's what a good company does. It goes through PR, it goes through lawyers and things like that. It's also pretty aggressive on its responses to this. So we're gonna look at the questions now. Again, we're gonna get a sip of a drink, just get ready for the next topic. And we're going to answer a few questions. So let's start out with the Super Chats. Nathan Wallace asks, how much extra scrutiny is Microsoft under because of past antitrust issues? Thank you so much for the Super Chat, Nathan. I don't know. You know, that's eons ago uh, in the landscape of antitrust in both technology and legal terms. I do think Microsoft is kind of a, a known actor in this space. So with their name on the top line, they're probably more likely than others to at least get a second look at the FTC level or to be looked at a little bit askance. I think whenever you've got a trillion dollar plus market capitalization, these regulators are more likely to say, hmm, let's make sure everything's being handled right there. Uh, But on this particular topic, I think that's all it is. It's maybe a light little push that says, ah, is Microsoft right there. Uh, We should definitely take a look at it. Microsoft isn't even kind of the persona non grata of technology right now. Uh, That would be your Amazons and your social media companies of the world that are probably getting an even closer look. You got Facebook out there and Mark Zuckerberg. I think the FTC might just try to block everything Facebook ever tries to do again. Uh, We will see on that. But that within deal was really eye opening for me. Thank you so much for the question and for the support of the channel. Don asks, as a matter of policy, how do you feel about regulators being so aggressive nowadays? Well, I mean, I have to admit my tilts on this, right? I'm a a corporate lawyer. I try to get deals done. I try to get deals through. And to the finish line, uh, it is a a complication to have regulators be more aggressive than they otherwise would be. That doesn't mean I think that everything that they do is uh, completely out of bounds. Uh, But I do think we are seeing things that are, either very close to that line or cross that line. You've seen me reference Facebook and within. I think that one is crazy. Uh, And if that becomes the standard of deals, I would expect a big problem with investments. I would expect a big problem with mergers and acquisitions across the United States. And I would hate to see that because I do think there are efficiencies to be gained. I do think there are exits that make sense for founders of these smaller companies. I do think there are strategic acquisitions that make sense for these bigger companies that really do add to the consumer welfare. And I do think there are bad deals that a regulator could potentially get involved in. And I would like to see those targeted uh, properly by these organizations. But yeah, let's put my biases and tilts out there. I'm a corporate lawyer. And so all other things being equal, if I've got a deal I'm trying to get approved, I would like to have that be easier rather than harder. Uh, So we can definitely put that out there. Um, But in this particular instance, I think these particular regulators are going very far to protect Sony in a way that I really wasn't expecting to see when we looked at that document. Thank you so much for the question and for supporting the channel, Don. I really, really appreciate it. Mike asks, what is the worst case scenario for Microsoft here? Well, from the UK alone, it's probably not a worst case kind of situation. They could at least potentially isolate the UK or or do things special uh, for that jurisdiction. The very worst case scenario is that probably the US, probably the FTC, decides to just try to bring the hammer and say, we're gonna ban the thing. We're not interested in a consent decree. We're not interested in you trying to figure it out. We think you're too big and we're gonna use you as an example. Um, And then that worst case scenario probably goes to federal court. And that federal court case probably locks things up for years. Um, And so that's a worst case scenario for Microsoft. That's a worst case scenario for Activision. That's in limbo for that whole period. That's probably a worst case scenario for Activision's employees who we've already seen have been um, put upon uh, by management. Uh, And that's bad for everything from the California lawsuit against Activision to everything else uh, that they're dealing with. So I think that is a remote, remote possibility. I think the FTC is going to rattle the saber. I think they're going to say we should do a consent decree. I think Microsoft's going to agree to most things that they've already signaled that they're willing to agree to, specifically with Call of Duty. And we're going to get a deal across the finish line that does have requirements that Call of Duty be kept uh, multi-platform and maybe some other things that Microsoft is otherwise willing to accede to. Uh, And that's it. Um, So we'll see. We will definitely see on that. Thank you so much for the question. Maxime, right now on Azure, Microsoft waives all license fees for Windows, SQL Server, and other proprietary software. Could do the same for gaming. Yeah, they could do all sorts of stuff uh, if that's what a regulator required them to do to make things on an even playing field. We do see a lot of the legislatures and other regulatory bodies looking at self-preferential treatment on things like digital landscapes that kind of go with licensing and technology and software. I don't know where those things are all going to wind up. Certainly the Amazons of the world are fighting that pretty tooth and nail. Um, But yeah, they could do all sorts of things with numbers and fees and things like that within a consent decree. The only question is, what does that look like? And certainly if that were made public, that would be the kind of thing that we would look at very, very in-depth here in Virtual Legality. Michael Mooney, Thank you for the super chat. Wait, wasn't PlayStation a market leader in game streaming? Uh, yeah, they had PlayStation Now, right? I mean, they they had that. It was a limited market. Now that it seems to be a popular market, this, this argument has swapped around. I don't disagree with anybody that points out some of the kind of irony or hypocrisy there, uh, but that seems to be the case, is that, oh, it looks real now because Microsoft has put all these resources into marketing it and selling it and bringing people onto that platform when PlayStation Now just really wasn't that exciting ever. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, RDX, son of a Fet, love what Tom Warren said about this. Uh, In like tweets, I haven't seen what Tom Warren specifically has said, uh, but I will follow up on it after this this video. Uh, He generally has a pretty good handle on the business side of these things and and what's going on. So I will check it out. Um, But uh, I don't know what he says. So I apologize for that. Thank you for supporting the channel. Uh, Raiden Blade says, CMA can't stop the deal, especially if the rest of Europe gives the go-ahead, the fact that the CMA are more responding to the questions like Brazil. Well, so the CMA can can stop the deal insofar as they can put their fist down on the table and say we're not allowing this in Britain. Um, And then everybody gets to respond to that, right? Microsoft says, okay, then we're not going to sell into Britain anymore with our combined entity or we're going to agree on consent decree side of things. And this is why the smaller jurisdictions, which the UK is smaller than the EU on the whole, the EU is smaller than the USA on the whole. It's why the smaller jurisdictions kind of follow the leader on this stuff usually um, and why you're unlikely to see, even though Microsoft sells into you know countless jurisdictions across the world, none of those, even with their own antitrust laws, are probably going to do anything other than follow the leader on what the big jurisdictions want to do. Um, so yes, they can stop it, but it wouldn't be stopped, uh, which is you know the nature of law. Right, Um, so those are the super chats I had. Thank you so much, everybody, for for doing that and and supporting the channel. Uh, Let's see uh, what uh, else we have here. Uh, Hoglaw, suppose regulators try to block this, and Microsoft goes to court. Can they go the route of proving they're just Sony shills? I don't know what it would accomplish. Um, You know, they're allowed to make the decisions as they make them. um, But when you when you go forward to a court in the U.S., I can't speak for the U.K. specifically about this process you'd be trying to establish that they're wrong, uh, that they have used things that are outside of the jurisprudential precedence uh, of whatever we're looking at, uh, and that this is actually going to be beneficial for people, which is what we're going to see Phil Spencer say. Um, So yes, part of that is that you could say that their evidence was lacking. And uh, at that point, uh, things go forward. Luke, uh, who appears to be from the UK, I hope so, uh, says, worst case scenario is that the CMA accept no offered undertakings if they offer a settlement. Try and block the deal following phase two and would an appeal which, given the importance of the UK market, would mean the deal would die. So I don't know. Honestly, I, with, with the size of this deal and the importance of it to Microsoft's future plans, I think they'd try to leverage their business case against even a, a legal finding there. Uh, but we'd have to see. Uh, We'd have to see. It depends on how significant you think the UK market is to actually making this whole thing go. Um, Certainly the UK thinks they could do that uh, if it got that to that point. Um, Let's see here. Oh, Law. Do you think Microsoft is required by law to release games multi-platform? They certainly aren't right now. There's no indication that you would have to do that right this second. Uh, And required by law would be essentially required by contract fiat with a legal organization. Right, so we've talked about this in other spaces in virtual legality before, um, but essentially, once the CMA or once the FTC or once the EU decides we think we can block this deal because it substantially lessens competition, right? We've arrived at this conclusion. Now we can say, okay, you need to make it right. You need to make sure that it doesn't substantially lessen competition. So we're going to write you a list. We're going to write you a grocery list of things that you have to do, um, and if you accede to that list we won't block it because you're no longer substantially lessening competition. And we could say, you have to put Call of Duty multi-platform. You have to promise you're not gonna raise the price of Game Pass for five years. You gotta put Starfield multi-platform as soon as practicable, since we know you stopped working on the Sony version. We could ask for whatever it is that we wanna ask for, as long as it's ostensibly related to the the competition concept within the merger itself. Um, And we can go from there. At that point, you'd be obligated if you signed onto a consent decree, or I think it's an undertaking, as, as Luke and the CMA has said, and that would be of legal power, that's not specifically a statute or a law that would be effective for everybody. RDX, son of a fat says, Tom Warren said the UK is protecting PlayStation's number one spot. (laughs) It looks like that, doesn't it? It absolutely looks like that. And I, I don't think it's protecting PlayStation's number one spot as much as it's, and you see regulators get into this mindset from time to time. It's ignoring the dynamism of a given marketplace and saying whatever the market is right now has to be crystallized. And anything that moves those numbers is somehow anti-competitive. And as you've heard me talk about, that's the antithesis of what competition law says. And it's the antithesis of what a regulator should do because competition moves markets all over the place. That's the point. Oh, if I put out something better, if I put out something cheaper, if I put out something that just works for people better, then I can eat into your market share. That is me gaining and you losing. That is me scoring a goal and you being down by one. And that's competition. And instead, what they seem to have said is like, no, no, you're not allowed to score. You're not allowed to do any of these things. Sony is is in the lead right now, and they have to stay that way. Let's stop the game. And it's like, whoa, that doesn't feel right, does it? And that's what's in their document right this second. Uh, JC Gamer, thank you for the super chat. What gaming Microsoft rejects consent decree does it hurt? Okay, so if Microsoft rejects the consent decree, you heard it really well put by Luke, uh, then essentially you send it back to the CMA or the FTC or whatever and says, is Microsoft calling the bluff? Right? So they say, we're gonna, we can block this deal. You have to agree to a consent decree. And Microsoft says, no, we're not agreeing to those terms. Go ahead, bring a federal case or whatever they call a the case in, in the UK. And then that regulatory body has the decision to make as to whether they're going to press the issue. Right, In the US, if they don't do things on a certain timeline, things can go forward. But as we've said before, the real bad part about US antitrust law is that the FTC and the DOJ essentially reserves the right to sue later on to change their mind. We don't approve deals in the United States. We just allow them to happen. So they say, you know what? We've rethought that Instagram deal. We think that that's uh, monopolistic. We think that's a substantial lessening of competition or restraint to trade. Uh, and so we're going to try to ask you to unwind that, which is really, really hard to do, especially with something that's that old uh, because you've otherwise kind of ingrained the institutions within your, your body corporate. Um, and so that's a problem. For what's happening in the United States right now, but it is the way that our statutes are structured. Uh, so they could they could have it, and then if you wind up saying, "Okay, yeah, we'll sue you over it," then you go to court. Hogue Law question: What about staff that resides in the UK if they pull out? Um, <clears throat> I don't think that this is a realistic possibility, uh, right? I, I think that Microsoft will find a common ground. Uh, with all the regulators. I think this deal is going to go through. I think it's going to go through with a consent decree. But if you got into a scenario where you decided that the deal was still worth it to you, but you were going to eject from a jurisdiction, you'd have to eject completely and or spin off various of your assets that were going to operate separately in that jurisdiction. It would get real, real messy. Um, And I don't think it's worth going down that bridge until we actually came to something like it, uh, because I think it's so remote of a possibility. Uh, But I do appreciate the question. Joppy asks, so you do understand why MS is being scrutinized like this, right? It's not just comparing Xbox to PlayStation. It's comparing the Microsoft group to the Sony group, and that's where Microsoft wins. Again, we're living in specific markets, right? It's not Microsoft as an entity. It's the gaming gaming markets. That's why you see the reference in this document to console space and subscription service space and cloud gaming space. Cloud is the closest because they bring in all the rest of the Microsoft strengths uh, to arguing that point. But we have to use our antitrust laws as they're intended within the markets that we're talking about. So the fact that Microsoft has you know, a, a big technological uh, blueprint or footprint in these various other industries shouldn't actually matter that much to how they're operating within the console space. Um, and so, yes, I understand why regulators look at Microsoft more closely because they have a $2 trillion plus market capitalization. Uh, but we do have to keep them to what it is that they're supposed to be looking at. And let's see, because I can feel my voice going a little bit. Let's make sure we get to the rest of these Super Chats and then go with Phil's response, which I think should be just about the last major <clears throat> bit of information here we have to go through. Raiden asks, and thank you so much for the Super Chat, Raiden. What happens to the staff members? if, the, uh, Well, if the deal breaks down and it's not the fault of Activision or Microsoft, does the CMA have to pay them? No, 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 um, I, I can't. I can't promise that technically under UK law because I don't know it. Uh, But in general, the regulators are doing their job. They're evaluating these deals. If the deal falls apart because of their evaluation, no, you don't get to sue them. They're sovereigns. They're part of the executive authority. So you're out of luck. Um, This is is a rough thing. Not only that, if it gets killed by regulators, I believe Microsoft owes Activision uh, a billion dollars or more. I'd have to get a look at that contract specifically, but there's a specific out where if regulators block the deal, uh, Microsoft owes Activision for putting them in limbo uh, and for putting them in limbo for so long. <clears throat> uh, on the sizes, we've got Michael Mooney here. <laughs> Sony's valued at $123 billion, Microsoft at $1. $1.6 billion, uh, uh, $1.6,000 and Nintendo is $76 billion. Uh, yeah, they're, they're wildly different sized corporations. Uh, absolutely. It's funny, I think I, I saw Microsoft at a two plus trillion dollar valuation, very, very, a short time ago. So the market must be having a lot of fun with tech companies right now. I try not to look at it (laughs) so much uh, here in 2022. Uh, And Luke confirms here. Thank you, Luke, I appreciate it. No, CMA doesn't have to pay anything to anyone. (laughs) Uh, Laughing emoji. They're the sovereign folks. Welcome, welcome to government regulatory actions. Okay, with that said, I promised you, Phil is a little spicy, but if you're not used to reading corporate messaging, you might not recognize just how spicy he is So let's walk through it. Gaming for everyone, everywhere. Our view on the Activision Blizzard acquisition from Phil Spencer, CEO of Microsoft Gaming. If you remember, he got a new title uh, as all this has gone down. Game developers around the world are creating innovative and groundbreaking games. We think that we can do more to bring those experiences to the billions of players everywhere. Our announcement in January that we intend to acquire Activision Blizzard was an important milestone in our journey to do so. Since then, Regulators, game developers and players have been asking what the acquisition means for the industry and most importantly for players. So a couple of things happening right here in the first paragraph. So one, we wanna say we wanna bring it to more people. We wanna increase the audience size. This is consumer facing. That is good for consumers in general. So they're trying to frame out exactly what they're doing with a positive spin. Then they attach that positive spin to their acquisition of Activision Blizzard. This has to do with getting more games out to more people. They're being available on cloud is better. They're being available on Game Pass is better. This is an improvement in the industry of an existing market of video game access. So you can see exactly what we were talking about in response to the CMA tweets and the CMA documents. They're trying to frame right from the outset. And then lastly, when they say, what does this mean for the industry and most importantly for the players? This is echoes of what we know about antitrust laws, especially in the United States, which is that the focus should always and everywhere be on the consumer. What is the end effect for somebody that wants to play Call of Duty or wants to play a video game that CMA, FTC, everybody else shouldn't be either emotionally or politically invested in protecting Sony. They should be emotionally and politically invested in protecting you. And if Sony goes down because everybody else is providing better services cheaper, well, so be it. The same way in the other direction, by the way, if Microsoft and Xbox were to go down because Sony is just that damn good, so be it because that's all we can do as regulators. And that's really all that the law puts in front of us. So that's really the focus right here. And this is important because we know that the Federal Trade Commission is trying to go a little bit away from that consumer welfare standard. We saw that in that Facebook uh, litigation that I just have mentioned 25 times in this video. And we know Microsoft knows that, right? They're dealing personally with the FTC right now And we've already heard leaks and rumors about them having a monopsony kind of argument about labor that Microsoft went and diffused by getting the union on their side by saying we're going to allow Activision to unionize however they want. And that got the approval of that particular union lead, uh, the Communications Guild. And so we see Microsoft dealing with all of this over the past eight months. And you can see it right here in the corporate messaging. Very, very positive. We're good actors. We We need to remember to focus on the players. While we love consoles, we recognize that they are not the only way that people play games. Any definition of a market, one might read, that excludes mobile, for instance, as in terms of determining where a monopoly or market power lives would be wrong, suggests Phil Spencer. Today, the largest and fastest growing segment of gaming is mobile platforms. So here we have your denominators wrong. To reach the billions of players where they are and no matter what device they play on, we need to embrace choice. Giving players choice in how they play their games makes gaming more accessible and leads to larger, more vibrant communities of players. Choice is equally important to developers. Developers benefit from having a diversity of distribution and business models for their games. Choice unlocks opportunities for innovation and enables the industry to grow. So you, CMA, you, Britain, you probably other jurisdictions at the same time, have suggested that we intend to monopolize cloud gaming or subscription service gaming. Those regulators are just different models of ways to get games out. You can't monopolize models. You can get your game out, you can choose to sell it, you can choose to sell it on PC, you can choose to sell it on our store, on PlayStation Store, Nintendo Store. You can choose to participate in PlayStation Plus or Game Pass or anywhere else. And players are able to have these choices because they can play them through those subscription services, they can play them through our cloud mechanisms. And what we really need to be talking about is how this is all good for the consumers, again. Consumer facing, consumer facing. That's what Phil Spencer and Xbox wants you to focus on. Not articulating these as separate markets from buying a video game on our service or otherwise enjoying video gaming in general, but all different ways to purchase and otherwise enjoy video gaming, which means they're all part of the same market, right? That's the code that's happening right here in the first two paragraphs. We are expanding choice in two ways. We are making it better, not worse, for developers and players through the creation of Game Pass, which gives players a subscription option, and by bringing more games to mobile platforms, including through our cloud gaming streaming technology. Subscription services like Game Pass make gaming more affordable and help players from all over the world find their next favorite game. CMA, if you want to talk about competition, we are improving the lives of consumers. Now, we have seen in comments, we've seen people ask me the question, what if they're just subsidizing it all and those kinds of things. That's where you could get in trouble in the long term, but that's all pontification. We have no idea if that's the case right now. So you can't make a ruling against them based solely on that. Game Pass empowers developers to bring more games to more players, not fewer. Now here's the important part in terms of forward-looking. We intend to make Activision Blizzard's much-loved library of games, including Overwatch, Diablo, and Call of Duty, available on Game Pass and to grow those gaming communities. More people will have access to things. How is that a bad thing? Now, I would also note as a pure gaming consumer here that you don't see the, you don't see the phrase day one. Um, that doesn't mean it won't happen, um, but you don't see day one here. You see that we're gonna put Activision stuff on Game Pass. You don't see it referenced specifically as day one. By delivering even more value to players, we hope to continue growing Game Pass, extending its appeal to mobile phones and any connected device. Again, aggressive. This is a good product. We are making our product better. That is not anti-competitive. That is getting more people on board and yes, increasing our market share because we're doing something better than our rivals. That is not something that you should be upset about. Bringing more games to mobile platforms, however, requires new capabilities. The expertise that the teams at Activision Blizzard bring in developing games for mobile platforms, specifically King, will help us understand how to create games that engage players around the world. We are a big company. We want to invest in this market. We want to provide things to our players. We don't currently have that capability, so we brought in a mobile developer. This is exactly what Sony did by buying Bungie, by the way. In addition, we hope that players will be eager to play traditional console games from Activision Blizzard on other platforms via our cloud gaming streaming technology. So you can play it on other things, you just have to use our xCloud. This promises to open up mobile gaming, creating new distribution opportunities for game developers outside of mobile app stores. Now this is an interesting, again, side swipes, right? Side swipe to Apple, side swipe to Google say, just to be clear, hey, regulators, one of the things we know you care a damn lot about, EU, is that we are worried about Apple and Android monopolizing their app store access. And what better way to handle that particular technological issue than allowing cloud services to be bigger and to be more competitive and to get around those particular constraints on those platforms. So here, you're having all of this kind of get consolidated right? We're interested in expanding the base. We're providing a better service. Hey, by the way, you've got problems with various other tech companies like Apple and Google. We are the solution. What are we talking about here? And we can extend the joy of playing to devices that people already own, including smart TVs and laptops. In doing so, we will pursue a principled path. I actually hate this because this means nothing. It just sounds nice. We've heard that this deal might take franchises like Call of Duty away from the places where people currently play them. That's why, as we've said before, we are committed to making the same version of Call of Duty available on PlayStation on the same day the game launches elsewhere. We will continue to enable people to play with each other across platforms and across devices. We know players benefit from this approach because we've done it with Minecraft, which continues to be available on multiple platforms and has expanded even more since Mojang joined Microsoft in 2014. Now, people have pointed me to Minecraft on this particular issue before, I think it's a good example. I understand why Microsoft's using it here. It also is not a perfect example, right? Call of Duty is a continuing series with products released on an annualized basis. Minecraft is Minecraft. And so that's a little bit different to talk about in terms of making available because it's the one product that you're just continuing to make available to the people that already had that product, had access to that product and makes money from that kind of generalized availability. Call of Duty is not obviously the same kind of concept as Minecraft. Uh, So I think it's a good example because it shows Microsoft has done this kind of thing before, but it's not perfect. As we extend our gaming storefront across new devices and platforms, we will make sure that we do so in a manner that protects the ability of developers to choose how to distribute their games. We will continue to engage with regulators with a spirit of transparency and openness as they review this acquisition. We respect and welcome the hard questions that are being asked. The gaming industry today is robust and dynamic. Industry leaders, including Tencent and Sony, continue to expand their deep and extensive libraries of games, as well as other entertainment brands and franchises, which are enjoyed by players everywhere. We believe that a thorough review will show that the combination of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard will benefit the industry and players. Now, did Tencent and Sony just come out and randomly appear in this sentence in this particular announcement? Not even remotely close. Tencent Sony throw big money at Elden Ringmaker from software from all of yesterday, as they got a 30% interest in the company that makes one of the biggest games, if not the biggest game in the year, when all is said and done. So here's Phil Spencer, he's already shaded Apple, he's already shaded Google, he's already talked about all the other things that he thinks that the CMA and probably other regulators at the same time are getting wrong. You might as well point out, hey guys, um, Sony's buying huge amounts of companies, Ten Cent is bigger, uh, and they're both investing in the company that made the biggest game of the year right now and are pretty close to controlling percentages in all honesty. I think they're at 30% together on that, uh, and we will see where that goes. But he's pointing that out. It's a little shade. We believe that a thorough review will show that we're benefiting everybody. For all the players and game developers out there, you remain at the center of everything we do, and we will continue to listen to your feedback and do everything we can to nurture this industry that we all love. Now, Phil, okay, we, we know that you're out there selling a product, selling a service, trying to make money for yourself. but you have presented, as Microsoft has all year, that you do that best by making sure that gamers and developers get what they need. Whether that'll hold for the long term, I think that you've shown that at least for right now. And so, again, this is corporate aggression, folks. (laughs) Uh, You don't don't see this much shade usually thrown uh, in one of these. This is why you're wrong. This is why we're right. This is who's doing bad. Also, remember Sony, and, and what are we even talking about here? Could have been more aggressive, absolutely, especially with how the CMA decision actually is written to defend Sony's existing market position. But realistically, this is pretty darn aggressive for corporate messaging folks. And we also saw from Brad Smith, uh, which I think, oh, I did look at something from Tom Warren. I'm sorry, Tom. This is, uh, this is the link that I saw. Brad Smith, Microsoft's president and vice chair, is even more direct about Call of Duty. We're ready to work with the CMA on next steps and address any of its concerns. Sony as the industry leader, says it is worried about Call of Duty, but we've said we are committed to making the same game available on the same day on both Xbox and PlayStation. We want people to have more access to games, not less. We make money when we sell it. We're not super worried about that. If you need a concession from us on that, an undertaking, a consent decree, a settlement, or whatever your jurisdiction wants to call it, well, we are happy to do that for you." And so you get some very interesting responses from Microsoft. You also, I believe, had a response uh, from Bobby Kotick at Activision. So just in terms of whether this is material or important, it absolutely is. For the most part, I'm not going to read through all of this, uh, but he's saying, hey, we're going to do town halls as this proceeds on a regulatory basis. A lot of people are investing in gaming, including many of the world's biggest technology companies and government regulators are taking appropriate and deliberate steps to better understand our industry, which is very different from how Bobby and Activision responded to the California lawsuit, right? Uh, But maybe learning from Microsoft, taking the very same tack, hey, this is all warranted. This is $70 billion. So you know what? Governments of the world, you're right to be interested. We're going to answer any questions that you have. And then we're just going to make statements that, at least in subtweet form, are going to talk about why you're wrong. And I'm sure you'll hear about why you're wrong from us a little bit more fulsomely in our emails and other conversations. So that's the state of play today. As I said at the top of this, I actually don't think this moves the needle on the chances of the deal going through. Moving to phase two in the UK is probably what should have been expected by everybody uh, because every regulator is going to be interested in a near $70 billion deal, uh, magnitudes higher than what other deals we've seen in the gaming industry. And so I don't blame anybody for taking a second look at this. I do blame the CMA for some of the ways they've described what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. uh, But that really doesn't change the, the, the fact that I would have expected them to go to a second phase review. And I expect this deal to have an undertaking or a consent decree or something else. The only question is whether somebody tries to push Xbox further than they're willing to go. And then the fireworks really start. So what do you all think about all this? I'm gonna capture, I think the last super chat I have between the other articles, I can see the bots are here. I'll try to crush them uh, a little bit separately on this. Uh, But what do you all think? We'll answer one last pass of questions and then I'll rest my voice because we did go more than two hours on this. And I hope it was helpful, educational and entertaining. Uh, for everybody that has spent uh, so long of their morning with me so far. So, Raiden, couldn't ABK also be sold off separately if the deal fails and Microsoft still buys them off when you look at Embracer, NetEase, group purchases that are ongoing? Uh, Yes. Yeah, there could be other spinoffs. There could be other ways that it gets sold out. It depends on what Activision want to do. It would depend on what kind of money is being offered. Uh, You could look at it and say somebody else will buy them. But, But right now as a regulator, you have to look at and evaluate what's in front of you. What does this deal do? What does this particular merger look like? What does it accomplish? Um, and that's that's what you are supposed to be focusing on and not prognosticating what might happen if you kill this deal. Uh, but of course, as we've said, this whole process is a little bit uh, prognosticating because you have to guess as to what's gonna happen after the deal goes through. Lauren, thank you so much for becoming a member of the Hoglaw YouTube channel. You got some fun emojis. We're gonna add some more. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and to everybody else, like I said, thank you so much for joining me on a Virtual reality Live here. I had a lot of fun talking with you all about it. A number of people reached out to me to ask me to, to just go over all this stuff. If you're a Microsoft fan and you're worried about this deal not going through, hey, this is a complication. Still think it's going to go through, uh, but there will be consent decrees, I think, in a lot of jurisdictions. Uh, if you're thinking that this deal is dead, that's not the case. Uh, and everything in between is a, is a possibility. But I do think that this deal... Is not going to be closed anytime soon, or at least not anytime this year, and that we're looking at something early uh, to mid next year. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking earlier uh, than more mid on that. So everybody, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, and please do check me out on the uh, the next virtual legality. I was going to show you. I was going to show you the fun support stuff. Uh, if you do like this kind of content, please do think about supporting the channel at Utreon. That's where most of the resources get to us, or Patreon if you're more familiar with it, or just subscribing, like on the way out. Ring bells, leave comments, do all that fun stuff. Every little bit helps uh, make this channel grow. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, and if you, well, if you caught this on YouTube where you're watching it right now, thanks. Uh, and if you listen to it as an archive form in a podcast, thanks for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only.